Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. Alright guys, so we have been doing big hitters for the past few weeks. I mean, we've done a Spider-Man episode in two parts. We've done a Star Wars episode in two parts. I'm exhausted. I love nerdy shit and I could talk about Star Wars forever until I die. But I do like a break and... I do like watching different kinds of movies, and I'm very excited for this episode because this is a movie that I've never seen, and yet I've heard so much, and I know so many people love it, and this is kind of giving me like Little Shop of Horror vibes, like the episode around it, you know? Austin has seen it. I haven't seen it. A lot of people loved it. It's a musical. It's a genre that I'm not really that crazy about. If you know me, I don't really... I'm not crazy about musical. Oh, shit. George, you keep saying that, but every musical we've ever done, you like. That's the weird thing. You're absolutely correct. You even like Cats. (laughs) Okay. I think Cats is entertaining to watch. I don't think it's a good movie. But you like it. I'm entertained by it, yes. But I don't think it's a good movie. Don't try to distance yourself from your love of Cats. I love Little Shop of Horrors. That's a good movie and I love it. Mm -hmm. Cats is an interesting one. Also, I am going through like a cat phase. Like I think I'm (laughs) having a growing affinity for cats. Like I've I've always had dogs, but now I think I follow more cats on Instagram. (laughs) And I have have more screenshots of cats and I'm like taking care of your cats every once in a while. And I love them. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. but no, but. I am excited for this one because this movie is giving me a lot of Little Shop of Horror vibes from that episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious to finally sit down and watch this movie. So, Austin, what movie will we be talking about this week? This week, we will be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. Yeah, this movie actually predates Star Wars. But kind of has somewhat in common with Star Wars. But we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It was a musical, like, show, and then it became a movie. And it was directed and written by uh, Richard... Actually, it was written by Richard O'Brien, who plays a character in the the movie, and directed by Jim Sharman. Okay. I don't know if I've ever seen any other Jim Sharman movies except for the sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, this movie has a sequel? Yeah, it has a sequel. Oh, yeah. So this this movie is was not exactly well received when it came out originally, Mm -hmm. but it found its audience. It found its audience. And it is to this to this day, I believe, one of the longest running theatrical releases of all time, maybe like it's been in theaters since 1975, pretty much. That's a bold statement, but I think it's true because I have seen advertisement for midnight screenings of this film from 1975 way more often than i've seen screenings for star wars or uh the room you know and the room Mm -hmm. came out 
in the past two decades, I think. This is a movie from 75. This is this is like 47 years old. And people are yeah. still playing this in theaters. That's insane. Yeah. This this is the definition of a cult movie. Like Yeah, it's like the the original cult classic. You know, people hated it at the time. I'm assuming that most audiences hated it. Well, I don't think it really had much of an audience to begin mm. with because it was kind of like this weird movie that people didn't pay to go see uh, until some people had access to it. They were like, oh, shit, this movie is awesome. And it has like when people go to watch this movie now, they have already seen it. They already know all the lines. There's stuff that you do when the when the thing is happening on the movie, like there's a wedding scene and people have rice and they throw rice at the screen. There's a toast that a character gives and people have bread and they throw that at the screen. It's it's an experience watching this movie um, in theaters now. Mm-hmm. But you've never seen this movie. You've heard about it. Yep. I I remember hearing about the movie and knowing that it was like a comedy horror kind of thing. And I like the name, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was like, oh, what's that? It looks fun. Um, and my dad was like, that movie's weird. And I'm like, okay, but somehow, some way, I found I found the movie and I started watching it. And I'm like, okay, it's a musical. I like this. I like this. And then something happens in the movie where I'm like, oh, this is why my dad said it was weird. <laughs> mm. Can you um, elaborate, or is it is it a potential spoiler? It's not really a spoiler uh, because, as I mentioned before, this is like a kind of LGBTQ themed movie, and it is Pride Month. And one of the characters like reveals himself as a a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I feel like, like I grew up in kind of a religious household, you know, kind of like they didn't, they weren't exactly homophobic, but they were kind of homophobic. You know, the things that, that are like preachers would tell us about gay people and stuff. Um, So I grew up hearing all of that every week more or less. And I'm, I feel like this is the first movie where I saw like any kind of queer characters presented in a kind of like, they're kind of cool way. You know what I mean? Like when, when uh, Dr. Frankenfurter comes out, it's like, damn, that guy's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and I feel like it was, it was something that kind of, uh, made me think about the culture in a different way. And there's there's also like this theme of like repressed sexuality and, you know, being in a kind of religious household that was like her growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. They kind of taught you no sex before marriage, no sex before marriage. You're going to have these thoughts and you have to suppress them because thinking about them is sinful. And I... I I had those feelings and I feel bad about myself, you know, about having sexual desires and stuff. And in this movie, that idea that like repression of your sexuality, of your sexual desires is like kind of the the bad thing. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Frankenfurter was kind of this guy that stood against that. And it was he's all about giving yourself over to pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it was it was like a a huge like moment for me because I, I feel like after that movie I was like less uh I didn't feel as bad about being horny if that makes any sense <laughs> no no it totally does it totally does 
Um, well, because I think that's the thing, especially if you go up in a re- grew up in a religious household, it was like you couldn't have these desires, right? Or if you did, you had to be careful because they could lead to all sorts of dangerous stuff. It's like that scene in Mean Girls where it's like, don't have sex because if you have sex, you'll get a, you'll get an STD and then you'll die. Like that was yeah. That scene is. It's satirical, but it's kind of on point. It's pretty realistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, that's interesting. I didn't even know this was like a pride-themed movie. I feel like there is two sides to it. Like, yeah, it has queer characters in it. And Dr. Frankenfurter, although he's kind of like this this leader of, of people leading them over to this way of life, he's also kind of a villain. <laughs> mm. oh shit so okay. i i think there are some people who see it as as a as a pride movie who like it and see themselves represented in it in some way but there's also people who see it as like it's kind of perpetuating a bad stereotype but we'll get into all of that when we come back after we've seen the movie to mm-hmm. let let everybody know how we feel about the movie absolutely that's actually really interesting yeah. Oh, so let's let's go back to 1975, if you will, because 1975 was a very long time ago, it, and somehow it doesn't feel like it was, <laughs> given the the politics of the country we're living in. Um. Uh. So number one, at the domestic box office, can you guess what the movie was? 1975. Uh, Midnight Cowboy, I think. No, no, no. no. Jaws. 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 Jaws was the number one movie of 1975 with $260 That's double the amount of the next movie, which was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I love that movie. Me too. Uh, number three was Shampoo. Oh, which, with uh, Warren Beatty. Yeah, it's also a very horny movie. <laughs> <laughs> and political. Number four was Dog Day Afternoon. I've never seen that one, but I've always wanted to. Yes, that's also something that maybe kind of goes into like uh, a queer theme. Absolutely, um, yeah. We'll eventually talk about the movie, but okay, keep eventually, going with the Eventually, yeah. 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 Uh, number five, The Return of the Pink Panther. Somebody in our Discord mentioned that the Pink Panther sequels adopt like the Star Wars the sequel titles. Return, Revenge... The Pink Panther Strikes Back or something. <laughs> it's like, wait, what the fuck? These are all literally the same. Do they do it on purpose or? Well, these movies came out way before. So. Oh, so Star Wars ripped it off of Pink Panther. Yeah. Another thing that Star Wars ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to piss off the fanboys. That's fine. They're they're already mad. That's their secret. They're already mad. <laughs> Number six. Three Days of the Condor. Number seven. Funny Lady. Number eight, The Other Side of the Mountain. Number nine, Tommy. Number 10, The Apple Dumpling Gang. So from six to 10, I have no idea any of those films. But from one to five, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is what, how was, how are these movies viewed by the public? They're some of the highest grossing films of all time. And the 70s were very different than now. I mean, you just got out of the civil rights movement in the 60s. You know, in the 70s, you had, I think, uh, Deep Throat being one of the highest grossing films uh, of the decade or, you know, in, in that decade. Mm. Uh, you had Midnight Cowboy was a 
rated X or NC-17, and it was a huge film, but then you also have Jaws and Star Wars. It feels like it is the polar opposites. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just sounds like in one corner you have Star Wars and New Hope, and in the other you've got Deep Throat. And I'm wondering, how did people <laughs> respond to this stuff? I mean, Rocky Horror, did people love it? Was it, like, was it well-received by the few people who saw it? How did mainstream audiences see this movie? Well, I can tell you how mainstream audiences saw the movie. They didn't. Because at the box office, at the numbers available for 1975, the Rocky Horror Picture Show sold 10,000 tickets and made $21,000. Oh, my God. That's abysmal. Yeah. But, but since then, this movie has gone on to gross over $100 million. How the fuck does that even happen? And that's another thing I'm really curious about. How does a movie that 10,000 people saw, right, in its theatrical run, just catapult it to millions and millions? I'm imagining that part of it has to do with VHS being introduced. But VHSs weren't introduced until the 80s, right? Yeah, so people were seeing this movie in theaters at at some point, you know, because that's how the, you get the gross. You, gross doesn't count for, for VHS sales it's because it was in theaters. But now, was this movie played in TV? Was it was it played on TV? And if so, what kind of uh, what kind of channels was it playing on? Was the word of mouth from the people who saw it in theaters so strong? Was it so strong that they spread it like it spread like wildfire? I am. I am really curious because more so than any other film that I can think of, who the fuck has done that? Like, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's insane to think about. Like just even looking at the math, it's like, that is nearly impossible. This should be one of those films from the seventies. That's like, like a super, super, super small group of people are familiar with, but it still should not be playing in theaters. Austin, if I went outside right now and drove throughout LA, I am sure I could land into a midnight screening of this movie tonight if i wanted several to. no doubt yes. several <laughs> especially it being pride month like but but even, oh yeah but, but even outside of pride month i'm sure i could go out some point in the year and find this movie playing in theaters how does that even happen what kind of that's that's even that's more rare than the fucking stars aligning up like that's just <laughs> that's that's what baffles me the most this is this is the little train that fucking little engine that could. Yeah. <laughs> but That's it just goes through the mountain several times over for years. <laughs> and circling it, the globe. It's that's incredible, though. Like, I mean, think about it. You know, you you work on a film uh, that you're very proud of, that your cast is proud of, that everyone, you know, and God knows how the film was made. That's something that we're going to talk about. But, you know, you're a filmmaker and you made a film and you you want it to do well. And then you you look at the numbers and it's like twenty one thousand is even adjusted for inflation back in 1975. That was terrible. Not even a million. And yet somehow this movie will live outlive all of us. Oh, yeah. I, I just trying to wrap my head around that is insane. And weird things can happen with movies, man. Sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, you, you can't. Movies are a strange piece of art. You have something that you think is going to be successful. That's not. You put like hundreds of millions of dollars into it. And then you put hundreds of more millions of dollars into it, redoing it. 
and then you release it and then it doesn't make all the money back. It's like, yeah. And then you have a movie here that was on a budget of a million and it made ten twenty thousand dollars but it kept on being in theaters it kept on making doing the whole theatrical run more fans and their the fans children's they showed them this movie and then so on and so forth and now it's it's a, over 200 million I, my mistake over 200 million dollars this movie has legs outside of the money that it's making oh yeah it's got legs <laughs> because th- because think about it this way I've never seen this movie, but I've heard about it. I've no, I know Tim Curry's in it. I know Susan Sarandon's in it. I've never seen any other film by Jim Schwarman that I'm familiar with. I'm not familiar with the writers, but yet I have seen that poster. I know the title. I've seen Tim Curry's character, right? I, I, I'm familiar with this movie, even though I've never seen it. And it's not like some, it's not like some Godfather thing. Cause everyone's like, Oh, the Godfather is the greatest piece of cinema in all of history. <laughs> and, but I mean, people don't talk about Harry Rocky Horror Picture Show in that same vein, but they still talk about it and it still gets around and it's like wildfire. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. I've never seen it, bro. I had literally heard of little shop of horrors a few times before the podcast. Like, you probably like, got it confused with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You, you you took it out of my mouth. A hundred percent. I was like, oh, is that the movie with Tim Curry? Oh, what a giant plant. Audrey, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. And people have told me about that movie. And but and you thought it was was this little thing that maybe you've never even seen a frame of. No, for me personally, there's so much mystique around this film. What number one? What the fuck is it about? Number two, how does it have these legs? You'll see. And number three, what did people what did what did people even think about this movie? Because they liked it. There's people who are like, I've heard of this movie. Then they watch it and they're like, why do people like this movie? And then well, there's people who who watch it and love it. And it's like, how can you not love this movie? From from the outside, it seems like this movie is pretty sexual. From the outside, not yes, having seen very, it. very, very sexual. From what you were saying earlier, it checks out from, from, from my preconceived notion of it. So I'm not surprised that it kind of bothers some people because you know sexuality in general just bothers most people yeah like, even if it's heterosexual it oh, still yeah. bothers people it's oh like, yeah man this is making me uncomfortable i have to avert my eyes Mm-hmm. and so now you have a film where you have tim curry who's dressed up kind of hot I, I, I ain't gonna I, I, you know <laughs> and and so and i imagine that this movie must definitely be pushing some buttons for people <laughs> republicans oh yeah <laughs> so so i'm just like so but how what was the perception like at the time you know deep throats out there but also star wars where does this land like in terms of audience mm. reception because it clearly people loved it but how much how little I, this is a giant enigma and uh i can't wait to see this movie me too um unfortunately it's not streaming anywhere but you can watch it in the theaters. Very easy to find in the theaters. If it's your first time watching it, I do not recommend that experience because you will not understand. Well, you might not even understand the movie anyway, but because <laughs> uh, it's kind of confusing. And it's, as I mentioned before, I feel like George cares more about plot than I do. Yes. And I don't know if he's going to like this movie. I hope he does, but we'll see. We'll find out. Regardless of whether or not he likes it or not, we're going to have plenty of stuff 
to talk about this movie. If you're a fan of the of the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, this is for you. If you're not a fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's still going to be for you because there's a lot to talk about. So you can stream this movie on Amazon Prime, on YouTube, on Apple TV, Google Play, Vudu. You're going to have to rent it. You're going to have to rent it, yeah. But hey, like, you know, for $3.99, you're literally seeing a cult film that has somehow beaten the odds. Don't you want to be a part of that? Or aren't you a little curious to see just what the fuck this movie is? Yeah, don't I you am. want to see a different set of Jaws? <laughs> Which is the tagline <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. See, that kind of self-awareness, I love. Like, that's some, it's so good. That's creative. So good. Like, hey, take my money. Don't even ask. Just take it. It's one of those musicals where I like every single song. Like, I don't skip anything when I'm listening to the whole the, the soundtrack. I hope you like the movie. I love this movie. Um, I will get into like when I, we come back with the research part, I'm going to see what what queer audiences have to think about this movie. Mm-hmm. The ones that love it and the ones who think it's problematic. So we'll come back with all of that. And we I am curious, too, because is so uh, is Tim Curry's character, Dr. Frank Infertor? Transsexual or transvestite? <laughs> Dr. Frank Inferter. It's like you're reading it for the first time. It's so I, funny. I, I, I'm not familiar with any of this. I've never said those names together. I, I think he's just like not exact. He's gender fluid, kind of. He's uh, he's kind of all over the place, you know? Now, see, what, what I'm curious about, because we've been seeing this more and more, is there's kind of a black a backlash in modern cinema, less so about let's let's so with some historical films about straight actors playing gay roles in particular uh transgender like like covering the spectrum right which mm-hmm. hollywood has done um people feel certain ways about it you know um some people don't mind some people do care i am curious to see if maybe that's become part of the conversation around this film i'm just curious because again what we do in this podcast we look back and we see well, this particular thing, you know, has this aged well? And I'm just kind of curious about that, honestly. I, th- I think what what did speak to people, what spoke to me, was that it was a kind of em- you're embracing your, your sexuality, your, your libido. It's kind of like a celebration of that in a, a culture that that doesn't want you to celebrate it. That it's like, oh, it's only after marriage. And it's only to make babies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you don't need to be to be gay or, or anything to like sympathize with that sentiment or or like see where Frankenfurter is coming from and Frankenfurter and his crew. That, that's that's what I think. No, fair, fair enough. We'll get into all of that. This is going to be a really interesting film. We will see you in one minute. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong. They got caught in a cellular jam. Then at a deadly pace, it came from outer space. This is how the message ran Science fiction Double 
Hello, everybody. We are back from watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. This is George's first time watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is my maybe 10th. I love this movie. 10th time? I still love this movie. Yeah, probably 10th. 10th time. Jesus Christ. That's a, those are rookie numbers <laughs> compared to some, uh, some very dedicated fans. We'll get into that later. But uh, George... Having seen this movie for the first time, what were your thoughts? So, initial thoughts, uh, and just a quick recap for people. I'm not a big musical guy. Uh, He's lying. He loves musicals. I, okay, so I thought of myself as not a big musical fan, but I've been watching more musicals now that Austin is in my life for some reason. (laughs) And I really am starting to like them. Like, I rewatched Wizard of Oz a few months ago, really liked it. Little Shop of Horrors is probably one of my favorite musicals uh, that I've seen ever. Uh, the director's cut, um, you know, that the original cut's fine, but the, the director's one is better. Um, so I've been kind of getting into musicals a little bit more. And I got to say, I really like this movie. I like it a lot. Now, I don't love it like Little, little Shop of Horrors. I think there's a little pacing issue at the end, particularly. But I love the setup. I love the middle. The songs hit. Like, they're awesome. Meatloaf is, like, amazing. I love him. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because we've talked about Meatloaf before. When we, were, when we? did tra- Yeah, because we were t- doing Transformers, directed by Michael Bay. And Michael Bay directed a music video for Meatloaf. Oh, that's right. He did, uh, I would do anything for love. <laughs> but I won't do that. So he, Michael Bay directed that music video. So I remembered Meatloaf because of that. And I admire mm-hmm. him even more now, especially reading up a little bit about his involvement in the film. The movie's great. Like, uh, Meatloaf, Meatloaf's song, Hot Patootie, is like my favorite song. Like, I put it on my playlist and I had it on uh, repeat when I was in the shower. Just, like, constantly. Mm. Um, Tim Curry's amazing. The supporting cast are all incredible. Yeah, Um, like, Tim Curry is the star of the show. But everybody does a really good job, you know? Even Barry Barry Bostwick, the guy who plays Brad. He's great. He's so funny. He's so (laughs) cheesy, but it's great. Like, I, I love it. Like, everybody kind of is working on the level that they need to for this production and for this film. Mm-hmm. Like, they are, no one's overdoing it. No one's overly dramatic. But no one's, like, overly cheesy either. Because you can be a little too cheesy, I think. I I don't know. I feel like it. they're playing into that that camp space. They're like, playing you into see the camp. in a B, B horror, B sci-fi movies of the 50s. But they're not overdoing it, like, to a point where it gets cringy. Like, they're just inhabiting their characters really, really well, especially Tim yeah. Curry. Because I they're feel doing like, it on purpose. I feel like there's a bit of self-awareness when yes. it comes to these performances. Mm-hmm. Tim Curry's character, Dr. Frankenfurt, like, he's someone who's androgynous. And I feel like someone else, they could potentially take it to, like, offensive levels. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but But he's not. Like, he is, like, a queer icon, you know? People mm-hmm. dress like him. They love him. Like... And that's because Tim Curry is is very much aware of what he's doing. And a lot of the cast are yeah. too, especially Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff. Oh, yeah. uh, who's the writer? Portray- yeah, he was the writer. He was the the creator of the Rocky Horror Show. 
uh, uh, P- Patricia Quinn, who plays Magenta. She's amazing. Yeah. Nell Campbell, who plays Columbia. Hilarious. Susan Sarandon. This was like the first time that she really started singing. Man. And she's perfect. Everybody's so good in this movie. So like yeah. Tim Curry is like the star of the show, but everybody else is so good too. There are no weak links in this movie. Uh, Zero. In fact, I mean, really, there aren't weak links in this in the movie at all. I think now you're either gonna love the story or you're not, right? Which is kind of like mm-hmm. what you were saying. Which I'm very plot driven. I like things that like kind of lead into each other and stuff. This isn't really that. It has that a little bit, <laughs> but it's really and then this- it like descends into chaos towards the end. <laughs> Exactly. This is very much a vibe movie. Like, yes. you just if you fuck with the vibe, great. If you don't, then this entire movie's a weak link. But maybe it's just not for you. But clearly, yeah. it's for a lot of people because they love the vibe. And yeah. it's like, I definitely recommend watching it. It's worth checking out. This movie is culturally significant, especially to gay culture, uh, queer culture. Uh, like, this movie's in the Library of Congress, which... We keep doing those accidentally. Yeah. Like you and I have not looked at the list and been Maybe like, oh, we, we should. <laughs> we probably should. But you and I haven't like said, oh, we need to do these movies because they're significant. Right. You and I have just said, what would be a cool movie to talk about? And you right. said you mentioned Rocky Horror and Rocky Horror is in the Library of Congress, too. But you yeah. kind of get it. Like this is a scrappy movie that was made on a low budget there were a lot of production issues and it's a weird movie. Like there's just like, wait, what, transsexual Transylvania. What's happening? <laughs> it, like he just straight up murdered a dude in front of everybody. Like it's, it's a weird. It was movie. a mercy killing. Oh my God. <laughs> I was dying. <laughs> but uh, but maybe, should we get into the story bit for people who haven't watched? Yes. Yes. hundred percent. Uh, totally recommend it. This is your last chance before we dive into spoilers. Just go watch the film. And even if you, you have the movie spoiled for you, it's still so funny. It's, yes. oh my God. It's like I've said it before, comedies have diminishing returns on repeat viewings, but this movie still makes me laugh. Like little things in it that they're just like, that was funny. That zoom in right there, that was funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, let's get into the story. Absolutely. Our movie starts with these disembodied lips, these red disembodied lips singing a song called science fiction double feature and the song has a bunch of references to all these like old movies uh like from the 50s the the day the earth stood still the invisible man flash gordon remember flash gordon uh king kong it came from outer space a bunch of these movies we we get into this this uh, fictional city of denton i believe denton is a city in in texas but i think this might be in Ohio, but there's no Denton, Ohio. They geolocated it some way or another. They were like, this movie takes place in Ohio. So there, yeah. and there's no Denton. Yeah, and I think it's that's a reference to another film called The Yesterday Machine. But maybe we'll get into some of that later. Uh, but anyway, I said in Denton and there's this wedding between this guy uh, whose name I always forget. It's like Ralph Happenshat or something <laughs> and Betty, Betty Monroe. And they're getting married and they get taking a picture. And then Ralph is talking to his friend, Brad. Brad is the is the hero of the film from the film credits. And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm married now. Maybe eventually you and uh, Janet there will get married. And he like does that, that that cheesy like punch in the shoulder, like 
old chum. You know, it's very <laughs> handy. And then, of course, Janet catches the bride's bouquet. And then they, the newlyweds drive off in this decorated car. And Janet's like, hey, I caught the bride's bouquet. And then Brad is, is like thinking of something, but he doesn't want to say anything. So it's like, oh, is he, is he trying to break up with her? Does he have regrets about this, this marriage? And, oh, no. Then he goes into a song, damn it, Janet. And he proposes to her. He had the ring the whole time. And it's, it's a catchy song. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to go meet the man who began it, <laughs> uh, Dr. Everett Scott. And they want to go over to Everett Scott and say, hey, we're getting married. Bless our marriage or something. Uh, so they drive off and it's it's uh, a dark night. We were introduced to this criminologist who's kind of like the narrator of the film who has this book called The Denton Affair and has like police statements from Brad and Janet and stuff. He's like, it happened on a night out and they're driving. There's a rainstorm. Uh, their car breaks down. And they're like, man, what are we going to do? Did we pass a castle back there? Let's go check out the castle. <laughs> so, so they go to the, to the castle that they saw, to the song over at the Frankenstein place. And in the rain, Janet's like, she has like a newspaper over her head, which is so funny. And then they get into the castle and there's this creepy guy who's kind of like an Igor. It's Riff Raff, played by Richard O'Brien, who's the creator of the Rocky Horror Show. And he's like... Uh, we're having a, a party. The master is celebrating something. Come inside. And Brad's like, I just want to use the phone. And they're like, we'll get to it. <laughs> they meet Magenta, who's like a maid. She's really creepy. And then they start singing the song, The Time Warp. And then we see the, the party goers, the Transylvanians, and they're all, they all look very different from each other. Uh, and they're all just dancing, having a good time, doing this weird dance. And then they all collapse. Like, I think Janet faints like three times during this uh, <laughs> performance because she's so taken aback by how weird everybody is. And then they're like, uh, we just want to use a phone. And then the master arrives. It's Dr. Frankenfurter. And it's played by Tim. He's played by Tim Curry. And he has a song, Sweet Transvestite. He's, he looks like Dracula and it's like big cape. And then he takes off the cape and it's like a fishnet, like lingerie, like very sensual attire. And it's a really catchy song. And he's like, I'll uh, take your wet clothes uh, so that you're not all wet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll invite you up to my lab. So then Brad and Janet have their clothes taken away. And they're pretty much in their underwear for the rest of the film. Uh, <laughs> he, he shows them his, his lab. And he flips a lot of switches and stuff. And then it's revealed that he's been making a man with blonde hair and a tan. And it's this like super hot dude who's like all muscly he's like the cloud atlas figure uh they sing more songs and the transylvanians the party goers are like oh whoa congratulations dr frankenfurter you're amazing and then out of this freezer comes a meatloaf whose name is eddie like the guy's name is meatloaf the singer <laughs> he's not like a made of meat <laughs> but he's he starts singing the song on his motorcycle hot patootie and he's just kind of causing a ruckus. He's got a, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? The the brass instrument, the saxophone, the saxophone. God damn. I can't remember <laughs> saxophone. I can remember lines from this movie, but I can't remember this, the saxophone. <laughs> um, and he's singing and one of 
Frankenfurter's assistants, Columbia, she's like really into Eddie. Let's like they're lovers or something. Eddie is chased back into the freezer by by Frankenfurter and murdered. And then he comes back out and continues his song about how much of a man Rocky the the creation is going to be. They go off together and it's alluded or implied that they have sex because they play like the you know, the, like that wedding tune. Uh, and then Brad and Janet are kind of led to different chambers to sleep. And then Frankenfurter visits each of them disguised as their significant other. And then he's, it's revealed that it's Frankenfurter. And they're like, oh, how could you trick me? I would, never would have. But don't tell Brad. And then they have <laughs> sex. <laughs> and then he goes over to, to Brad and then don't tell Janet. <laughs> then they have sex. Um, and then Rocky is be Rocky, the, the creation. He's being tortured by Riff Raff because Igor always tortures Frankenstein's monster. Uh, so he's like chased around by dogs and stuff. Janet is like, oh, my God, how could I cheat on Brad? What's wrong with me? I'm so horrible. Then she looks at a TV screen and sees that, you know, Brad and Frankenfurter are post post coitus. Brad's smoking a cigarette and she's like, <laughs> oh, my God, Brad, how could you? Oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with this? It's so funny Like they cut every time she says a line <laughs> <laughs> and she stumbles. She's in like the room where Rocky was created and Rocky's there and he's like wounded and she's like, oh, let me dress your wounds. And then she touches him and then she's like, whoa, I like this. And then she sings a song, Touch a Touch a Touch Me, and she has sex with Rocky. And then Dr. Everett Scott arrives by happenstance. Uh, and Frankenfurter is like, Brad, did you are you in cahoots with Dr. Everett Scott, my rival scientist? And he's like, No, I didn't know. We were coming to visit him, but he, this is all coincidence. And then he turns on like this magnet thing that brings Frankenfurter uh, that brings Dr. Scott over to him. And then he's like, why are you here? You sent Brad as a spy. And then he's like, no, this is all a coincidence. And then they find out that Rocky and Janet were having sex. And then <laughs> there's that whole Dr. Scott. Brad. <laughs> Janet. Janet? Brad. Rocky. <laughs> it, it like loops three times. It's I don't know why it's so funny, but it's fucking funny. Well, the way it's cut and the, just their their expression. It, it's really yeah. funny. Dr. Scott. Listen, I made you, and I can break you just as easily. Like, Rocky, like, looks at him, but doesn't say anything because Rocky is mute unless he's singing. And his songs are really funny. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so they all go to dinner because dinner is served, and they're eating. Uh, Dr. Scott's actually there to find Eddie, the guy that Frankenfurter murdered. Um... Because Eddie's his nephew. And then they have this song about how Eddie was a no good kid. But he the way he threatened your life, it made you cry. Yada yada. That's a song. And then we find out that they had been actually eating Eddie the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
Janet freaks out. She runs into Rocky's arms because he's like this big guy and attractive. She loves muscles. Yeah. She's been converted to a muscle fan over the course of, of the song. Frankie Furter is very, very jealous of this. So he chases her around. Planet Schmanet Janet plays. That's a song. And then he uses the Medusa Ray to freeze all of them. And then Columbia is like, Frankenfurter, you're like a sponge. You just take, take, take all the love and emotion from people. You spurned me for Eddie, and then you threw him away when you made Rocky. Well, now you got to choose me or Rocky. And then he uses a Medusa ray on her. And then he tells um, his assistants, uh, Magenta and Riffraff, to prepare for the floor show. By the way, Frankenfurter is kind of abusive to Riffraff. He's like whipping him uh, and... The, the servants are like, we're bored of this planet. We want to go back home. And then he's like, well, you'll find when the mood takes me, I can be quite generous. But do what I say. Prepare for the floor show. So they go and prepare for the floor show. He kind of dresses up these like stone mannequins with uh, garter belts and boas and lingerie and stuff. Everybody's outfit's pretty much the same. Uh, there's no discrepancy between the genders. And we have this song, Rose Tint My World, and that goes into Don't Dream It, Be It, and then it goes into Wild and Untamed Thing. It's all like one big montage. It's like a nine-minute nonstop musical of them performing in front of an empty audience. Um, and then Riff Raff and Magenta bust open the doors, dressed up like aliens. Uh, like, they're not, they don't look like aliens, but like their attire is like, that looks like like a flamboyant Vegeta, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Flamboyant Vegeta. I love that. Yeah, because he's still got the fishnets. Yeah. Um, but he's got this ray gun and he's like, Frank and Freder, it's all over. Your mission's a failure. We're going back home. Uh, and then Frank and is like, wait, I can explain. And he has Columbia and Rocky like prepare lights and he does one more number. I'm going home. It's, it's kind of a sad like bittersweet kind of song. He imagines uh, an audience there that loves him. It's imbl- implied that he's like travels throughout the galaxy looking for a place where he where he can find himself at home. But now he's resigned to to go back home and and go back to to that place. I guess Tra- the planet of transsexual and the galaxy of Transylvania. Um, and then Riff Raff is like, I misled you. Magenta and I are going home. You're going to die. And then he kills Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. And then he kills Columbia. Well, he kills Columbia first, and he kills Frankenfurter with his antimatter gun. And then Rocky, like, takes Frankenfurter's body and starts climbing, like, this mock-up of the RKO tower thing. And he gets zapped a bunch of times, and eventually he falls over dead. And then they have Dr. Scott, Brad, and Janet, like, leave, and they take off. The entire house was a spaceship. And then they go back to their home planet. And Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott are, like, left in the the ash and debris. And they're like, what just happened? And the movie ends. Not much in terms of actual, like, plotting. It's a vibe film. But there's still, like, there's still a story there. Like, you know, there there is a reveal that they are aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it's actually a really funny thing. I don't know if it's it a thing. It is really funny. I was thinking about it uh, 
I don't know if there's like a a thing about like gay people being aliens or something. Like, yeah, I, that is that is something that can be kind of problematic depending on your perspective and maybe what you know of of the B horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I first saw this movie and first heard that that song, science fiction, I was like overcome with emotion because I'm like. Yeah, whoever wrote this song loves all of those movies that they're referencing. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know what I mean? Because this was 100%. like written in seventy in seventy two, I, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. We can get into that later, but there wasn't like Wikipedia or anything where you could just like look at a list of sci fi horror movies and be like, okay, this rhymes with this, and I can IMDb this person. Okay, they directed it, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you had to know all of this stuff, yeah, to write it. And in those movies, there would be like these weird twists at the end because the film just ran out of budget and had to explain something like weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this movie called Teenagers from Outer Space, where at the end of the movie, there's just like this giant lobster monster that they have to fight. And it you can't even see the lobster. You just see the silhouette of a lobster and then <laughs> just kind of like blow it up. And it's like, what? That didn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. Why Why was that there? They ran out of budget for what they wanted to do originally. <laughs> that definitely seems like a B-movie thing where you're like, your ambitions overtake are like overtake your actual budget. And you, yeah. can't, you can't accommodate everything. I was saying weird because, you know, there's a reveal. And they kind of sprinkle it throughout the film that... Uh, that the people in this house are aliens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and, and you know, it's, I was, I was thinking about it and we've talked about this before with another one of our, the movies that we've seen on this, on this podcast, Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. There was the idea of Oscar Wilde being an alien, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if like, that's like a thing. I don't know if it's like something that like people have studied or if it's like an actual, like, an idea but i just thought it was interesting that you've had two movies that are about queerness that have allusions to aliens and stuff yeah it's like oh well you know maybe it's pretty broad like just oh you know gay people might feel like outsiders aliens just trying to fit in or something i i don't know i mean this is this is broad Um, I, i feel like that might have something to do with why it was written that way in the first place like in in addition to it being an homage to like these B horror movies with like these weird twist endings. Maybe you people watching the movie won't understand the otherness that queer people feel, mm-hmm. but you understand coming from a different planet. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can make the, the leap between coming from a different planet to coming from the same planet, but not being treated like you are. There, there's something to that that kind of, I think makes it a little bit more relatable. It's just like, well, you might not understand sexuality just because You've never questioned yours, but just think about it this way. Like if you were an alien, if you were going to another planet that had a living organ, it, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. I just, I thought that was a really interesting thing that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, this movie came out in 75. You had Velvet Goldmine in the 90s. Two, two queer films that briefly mention aliens. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I don't know. I Googled it. I couldn't find anything um might it might not be anything it might just be this is a science fiction film and they wanted aliens in the movie so we got them <laughs> and velvet goldmine is probably the you know oscar wilde being uh an alien might just be a, a thing that's out there and 
the the English culture or whatever. So I don't know. I, <laughs> kind of going from that aliens kind of thing. Like maybe there's nothing there or maybe there is. I don't know. But this movie has a lot of Easter eggs. A lot of little oh, yeah. subtle things that makes the viewing really, really fun and kind of rewatchable because mm-hmm. you can rewatch it for the music and the acting and how funny it is. But then you could also go back as like, oh, that's really interesting. Like if if B movies and science fiction and films and queer culture are your thing, then yeah, I could very much I could very easily see you kind of going in as like, oh, oh my God, there's a reference to this and this and this. Cause I was looking at some of the references and like like they had reference to to a bunch of movies that you mentioned at the very beginning, like uh, The Invisible Man, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Doctor mm-hmm. Axe, Forbidden Planet, Tarantula, Invasion of the Trip, uh, The Day of Triffids, yeah, uh, Curse of the Demon. Like the movie hits you right from the beginning, and like the movie makes a bunch of references to like movie studios in general, like Universal Studios, like their monster pictures, like Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. You've got MGM. Uh, with the with the cat snarling in the hall, you've got the references to RKO, <laughs> where that radio tower falls over. A de- I think by the time it was a defunct uh, production studio, like yeah, it didn't exist anymore. Exactly. So you could even see that radio tower falling as like RKO failing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's like the there's like the references to the Universal monsters, and it's also the mm-hmm. final frame that the film ends on with the globe kind of a reference to universal pictures so yeah there's a lot of little things here that are like oh that's a reference to this that's a reference to that and it's like that's one of the coolest aspects of this movie is like mm. really trying to find them and it invites like people being obsessed about this stuff i mean there are forums websites dedicated to this film there's a oh, huge yeah. cult following to it and you watch it's like oh i get it like on top of everything else, on top of the music, the acting, the writing, everything. It's like you add all these Easter eggs and you have a recipe for something that is going to get people crazy about. Like they're they're going to get crazy about this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, and the references are like across the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the, the, the schlocky sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. But there's also like a lot of classic art that's featured in the film. Oh my god, yeah, the American Gothic one. American Gothic, that's the one where you have like the farmer with the pitchfork and like his wife. But they repeat that like three times in the movie. Once with like the a riffraff and, and uh, magenta in disguise at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And then you have it again where you see the actual painting when they're doing the time warp song. Then you have it again when his freaking ray gun is shaped like a pitchfork. There's a bunch of references to all these different things, to art, to, to movies. They, basically, the movie is kind of a weird Wizard of Oz kind of thing. Yeah. The creation of Adam in the pool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. That's crazy. They picked that shot specifically so you could see the entire thing in the, the bed of the pool. They'd spent a lot of hours just getting that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in preparation for that that sequence. It was worth uh, it. Mm-hmm. And you might notice this, you might not. But when you do notice it, it does make the viewing richer. It does yes. kind of make you feel like, oh, I I get what's happening, you know, like on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun, too. It's just fun watching it. And that's the thing, too. Like, I'm not really. Hold on. Loud, obnoxious people with loud engines. 
Yes, Janet, life's pretty cheap for that type. Totally Shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, uh, it makes the, the viewing richer, yeah. And it I feel like it's not just there to be there. I feel like it's it's trying to, to say something. <gasps> oh, yes. No, no, oh, oh, my God. I'm glad you said that because, like... You know, sometimes, especially in these pre-sequels or these reboot sequels, you know, that yeah. we're accustomed to right now, like Force Awakens, Jurassic World Dominion, or Jurassic World, and the first one, uh, like a bunch of these movies that are continuing stories from long ago, Top Gun Maverick is another mm-hmm. example, you'll have kind of like these Easter eggs that, you know, allude to the previous film, but that's it. Like, it's just an allusion to itself. It's not an allusion to something else that pushes the theme or pushes the tone or the vibe right like it's like oh remember when uh i, I don't know fucking han solo said that one famous line and now he's saying it again yeah remember remember that <laughs> it feels like this movie's easter eggs were a lot more intentional like they were like oh we're gonna reference um the the adam painting the birth of man the creation of adam yeah is it the, i think it's called the creation of adam but i could be wrong so when no. we're like you have God and Adam like touching, mm-hmm. like but it but it makes sense because Frankenfurt created Rocky. Yeah, in an image that that he reveres, you know, this perfect specimen of manhood. <laughs> exactly, which is also a reference to Frankenstein and Igor and Frankenstein's monster. Like the illusions go deep, deep. Even the the pod or the the chamber that Rocky is born from was. In a movie called Revenge of Frankenstein, which starring <laughs> Peter Cushing from Star Wars. It, I think it was even shot in the same house, the same manner. A few B movies were filmed in this actual house, and the movie actually carries a lot of those props. It says here, some of the costumes from the film had originally were used in the original stage production. Props and set pieces were reused from old Hammer horror production films. The tank and dummy used for Rocky Horror's birth originally appeared in The Revenge of Frankenstein, 1958. If you love those old films, you you see it's like, oh, my God, that's a reference to The Revenge of Frankenstein. (laughs) It's that's awesome. That is that is super pointed, super deep and fucking awesome if you notice it. And even though like those movies came out a long time ago, I'd only seen like a handful of them. I still recognized some of the references like the basic mm-hmm. ones like frankenstein and stuff mm-hmm. uh but even if i don't understand any of the rest of it like a lot of newer fans do or don't it's still really funny so we've talked about easter eggs at a base level right talking about the movie just if you have no idea what we're talking about you you, you feel like oh man i might not get anything out of it how is the actual base film i think it's pretty good mm-hmm I think my biggest issue comes at the ending of the film. But, I mean, I, I, I want to talk praise about this movie because I enjoyed it a lot. The music slaps. Like, the music so is is awesome. Um, Tootie is my, my favorite song, but, like, Susan Saranda singing, <laughs> what was it, the Touch Me? Touch, 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 touch Me. It's so catchy, <laughs> and it's so sexy, too. Like, just it is. actually seeing it, it's like, oh, my God, like, this is hot, like, yeah. Holy shit, I could I could totally see people being in this castle wanting a bone. Cause it's just because <laughs> that's just the vibe. And it, I think it's it's also like you're seeing it you're hearing that song from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think you see you saw that a lot in 
uh in films like it's always like the guy chasing the hot woman mm-hmm. now you're you're hearing the hot woman wanting the hot dude now all i want to know is how to go i've tasted blood and i want more i'll put up no resistance i want to stay the distance i've got an ish to scratch i need assistance touch it touch it touch it touch me the second time that she wants the hot dude because she first wanted Tim Curry. <laughs> uh, so, and, and yeah, yeah the, the music slaps, like, it's great. Uh, Time Warp is is one of the best songs. Uh, and that's the introduction to, like, all these characters and how just, like, oh, these guys are a little weird, right? Yeah, and, and I love how, like, you have that criminologist character that's kind of guiding mm. you through the story, but even he's getting in on the Time Warp. Yeah. He has that, like, he pulls the projector thing down. It's like, it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> it's just a jump to the left. Oh man, I love him too. And I was like, what is this whole thing about him? Like, what, what's he doing? And then at the very end, you get the reveal. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which we'll talk about. But th- yeah, it, like on the base level, the music's great. It slaps. Uh, the movie's funny. Like we were talking about Susan Saranda. Like she sleeps with Rocky. Uh, but then she also sleeps with Tim Curry. Which is kind of the way that scene starts off is really creepy you know being, yeah like it, it, like it is i think that's one of the things that make this like an imperfect uh movie you know it's like whoa he's he's a little handsy right now and she didn't exactly consent to any of this oh I mean, she, I, I, it's it's borderline rapey because she thinks it's brad yeah and, and and vice versa too brad thinks it's it's janet so it mm-hmm. it is borderline rapey it, and it does it does make it imperfect from a moral perspective. Yeah. But I think what makes it really entertaining is the fact that, number one, Frankenfurt is kind of a villain. Like he is kind of this dude's mad horny. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could I could see him doing this like it makes sense. And also when they decide to sleep with him, it's funny. Yeah. And they do. They do <laughs> want to sleep. They do consent. Like they, they're like, promise you won't tell Brad. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so, like it's fun. You know what I mean? Like it's funny. Like this is something you've been wanting, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a curi- It was something that kind of weirded you out at in the in the beginning, right? It weirded you in the out in the beginning, but then as you've kind of been there, you've kind of adjusted a little bit, and now you're a bit more curious. And you know, with curiosity comes a little bit of temptation. And Tim Curry looks amazing, right? And you're just like, well, yeah, like they I, I think what's what's happening here is like you're getting to know who Brad and Janet really are underneath that, mm-hmm. like dopey, like pump, like the way he like slams his fists and says stuff like, damn it, you know, like that's not really you. The fist pump, the fist pump. He does. He cocks his fist before Henry Cavill ever did, <laughs> man. But it's great, but it adds to it. And Easter eggs aside, 
music aside, right? You really this is a story about two people who have kind of been raised and grown in this like American kind of heteronormative. Yeah, heteronormative, like very bland and plain, right? And that's just mm-hmm. that's just how they are, right? Like you know, from the very beginning with that guy is like, hey, it's your turn. And he like kind of hits him in the, you know, like it's super cheesy, super cheesy. Yeah. And it's really about these characters who kind of go from that to just start realizing, well, what if we just tried this out? What if we just gave it a, a shot instead of just saying, oh, well, they're weird. I don't like it. Let's leave like they initially wanted to. And it's like, yeah, you. it's like a sexual awakening. It's kind of like, oh. Um, I kind of like these things that I originally disregarded. Like Brad, Mm -hmm. Brad sleeps with Dr. Frankenfurt. And has he ever slept with the dude before? Probably not. Has he thought about it? Maybe, but he pushed it down. You know, there's something about seeing people that are sexually liberated, embracing all these things that is kind of turning them on. And that's really at the heart of it. It's nice to be sexually liberated, but don't don't follow this guy's example completely because he's OK with killing people. Well, I mean, we don't know what happened to Eddie in the he beginning. He killed Eddie. Well, he killed him in in the after Halpatootie. But before that, what happened to Eddie? Who was Eddie? There's oh, a whole song about how terrible a person he was. Fair enough. And I don't know it. What what happened to him? Mm-hmm. Maybe he they thought he was dead, and then they took part of his brain out to put in Rocky. Yeah, because there's then, that cut. Yeah, there's that big cut in his head, and I think he even says, "Do you think it was a mistake putting part of Eddie's brain into Rocky?" Mm-hmm. Interesting. He does kill uh, him the second time, though. Yeah, and he the does. second. <laughs> the second time. The second time is pretty bad. Yeah. That's kind of like the the general kind of story beats, like kind, kind of like the theme, you know, kind of like what the movie really is like revolving around. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it goes off in these goofy parts where it's like, oh, they're aliens. And he created the perfect, like the perfect muscle man. And, you know, <laughs> but it really is about these people kind of being sexually awakened uh, yeah. and trying these new experiences, which is really fun to watch because, you know, you get a you get a good sense of of Brad and Janet and you like seeing them just open up a little bit more. It's funny. Like it's funny yeah. when she's like, don't tell Brad, you know, <laughs> even though on paper, what they're doing is kind of fucked up. Like, you know, they're just, they're just engaged. They're both cheating on each other with the same person, but it's really entertaining <laughs> to watch. Oh yeah. So I, yeah, no, I, this, this movie just is really entertaining all around. I think my biggest issue just comes at the end. Um, one, one thing that I did want to mention before we got to the end was the, this was Jim Sharman's first like film. This is also Tim Curry's first film. Yes, it was really cool. 
But this is Jim Sharman's first film, and I feel like there's a lot of work going on in the editing and the filming and the framing to yes. make the jokes work. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish my first movie would be this good, like yeah. directing-wise, editing-wise, and shot composition-wise, because it's just perfect. The The way that we have Frank and Fritter introduced, where you see the elevator coming down, it, the shots of his high heels tapping on the elevator floor... The reveal he, mm-hmm. of the, of of Doctor Furtenfer's face, and the, yes. the the reveal of his costume of his outfit, yes. brilliant, the, brilliant. The the dramatic zoom ins for mm-hmm. maximum comedy. The way that we, our introduction to Riff Raff and the the Frankenfurters uh, over at the Frankenstein place song, mm-hmm. the way he's lit up there and the zoom in to to get to him, creepy, ominous, but. <laughs> You know, uh, you're not you're not scared of it. You're just like, oh, what what is this? And this is a musical. The way the the scenes are choreographed are awesome. Like, it's great. And this movie has like a good sense of fun, you know, like with Hot Patootie, the way that the motorcycle is like like riding up on the ramp and going down. And you've got the POV of the motorcycle as the people are running (laughs) down and you've got the close up of Meatloaf as he's riding. It's like (laughs) this is fun. Like this. This is fun. This is this is. Uh, kinetic energy and it's being driven by the music and the camera work and the editing. It's like, this is how you do it. Like this is all these things combined, make this an enjoyable scene to watch. A hundred percent agree with you. Actually, one thought that I was thinking about during what, while watching this film was I'm surprised at how good this movie looks at a budget of 1.4 million. Cause 1.4 million is not a lot. You have a lot of extras, you have choreography, you have some set. It's like you if you don't play your cards right, you can make this movie look really, really shitty. I was expecting because I was like, oh, this is a low budget B movie parody. Uh, I was expecting it to look shitty, like the actual film quality. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was expecting some of the sets to not look as good and stuff. But you watch it and it's like, no, the, the, the actual image looks good. There's. The, the sets are nicely lit. They're nicely filmed. I was like, oh, my God, this whoever designed the movie, like the, the DP, the production designer, they really put in a lot of effort, including the makeup artist because and, oh, yeah. and, the, and the wardrobe. Oh, right? yeah. I, the I know the, the costume designer was Sue Blaine. Mm-hmm. Sue Blaine designed the costumes and or according to her, she never went to America, never did any research on what Americans wore. She was just like, I think where Americans wear this. This was all done in the UK mm-hmm. or in England and the sci-fi outfits. She'd never seen a sci-fi movie before. She was just like, well, sci-fi outfits look like this. And that's how we got the flamboyant Vegeta. <laughs> but dude, it works. It worked for this movie. It works. It, it totally works. like for for Brad and Janet. It's like yes, it is the most general outfit that they could wear, but it totally fits with their characters and with the story. And yeah, he may look like Vegeta at the end, but that's because <laughs> they're aliens from transsexual Transylvania. Like, what does someone from transsexual Transylvania look like? I don't know, but they figured it out, and it fits really <laughs> well. Like, even Tim Curry's iconic outfit. Oh yes, yeah. so it's, good with the with the ripped stockings. Like this movie was inspired. Like that outfit was inspired by like glam rock, uh, mm-hmm. punk aesthetics, 
And like, maybe even influence the punk aesthetic because yeah. apparently Malcolm McLaren was a fan of this show when it was a musical and Malcolm McLaren would go on to be the manager of the Sex Pistols, you know, like one of the mm-hmm. first punk bands. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's where he got the whole leather thing from. I don't know. It's one of those like things that sounds like a really cool trivia bit and inspirational source, but I don't know. But I mean, maybe, but maybe this movie has this movie has a style and that style is still around. And I mean, uh, I just I love like the the pieces, you know, the way meatloaf looks magenta's outfit, uh, even Dr. Frankenfurt's like green, uh, like lab <laughs> coat is, is yeah. so that is like so for some reason like it's just a regular lab coat but it just there's something about it that's a little weird and uneasy but it does have like a queer cult uh culture it has like a queer reference because you know it has the uh i have it the triangle right yeah 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 nazis used to use hold on let me see where where, where is it the sur- the green surgical gown that dr frankenfurt wears has a pink triangle over his heart the triangle was used by the nazis in concentration camps to denote that the wearer was a gay man but it but it is pointing downward. The pink triangle pointing upward is often used as a symbol of gay pride. So just a little thing, right? Like it has a distinct look. Uh, it's got a, a reference to to uh, to the Nazis, which this movie kind of does have that a little bit. <laughs> like a little it, bit, it, yeah. It it does have those references to Nazis a little bit. Like you know, I think it's Columbia who or Magenta who says like. Uh, uh, like it was the triumph of your will. Yeah. Which is a reference <laughs> to the- Magenta says that when she looks at, at Rocky, She's, a triumph of your will. Like what? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, hold on, hold on. Wait, if I remember correctly, that movie, the Germans made a propaganda film called the triumph of the will, you know, and it's pro it's pro Nazi. And I mean, Dr. Frankenfurt is making Rocky who in a weird way is kind of like the Aryan, Aryan post- image. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I think he had blue eyes, blonde hair, muscles like Rocky's hot. So also the the premise of the Rocky Horror Picture Show is kind of similar to a movie called The Yesterday Machine, which came out in 63, where this like couple, they go to the woods, their car breaks down and then they like find a a farmhouse and they meet Dr. Ernest von Hauser, a Nazi scientist who is doing time travel experiments using his theories of super septronic relativity and the minus ray. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds like the technology that Frankenfurter uses to kind of freeze uh, Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott in place. This sonic transducer, it is, I suppose, some kind of audio vibratory physiomolecular transport device? You mean? Yes, Brad. It's something we ourselves have been working on for quite some time. But it seems our friend here has found a means of perfecting it. A device which is capable of breaking down solid matter and then projecting it through space and who knows, perhaps even time itself. And I was like, that's like such an oddly specific thing. <laughs> it is so funny. Why are we it's even so bringing wordy. this up? Uh, because of the the Nazis in the Yesterday Machine. They're, like that was the, <laughs> the bad guy, it was a Nazi scientist. I thought that was well while watching the film, I was like, why are we even mentioning this? Like, why 
why oh, is this like like when he said that line i was like that's so oddly specific why why is he saying that and here you are explaining it well it's a reference to a movie that's kind of the same premise except it's got a nazi doctor too i was like of course it makes sense yeah like, of even, course there's a reason for it <laughs> even if you don't know that the line is still really funny because it is so oddly specific like that's like the like pro- prototypical like sci-fi exposition dump right there you know mm-hmm. it's the, i mean it's almost like george lucas wrote it or something <laughs> use the navic computer the navic we have to wait a minute for the navic computer to make the calculations <laughs> <laughs> no it was it was something that was so weird at the moment and now that you explain like oh okay makes sense but yeah there the, you know even even like a costume you know or any some few lines of dialogues are just ah it's just the way this movie's put together is great, and it, it, I think they got the makeup artist for David Bowie to in this on this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, David Bowie was a big fan of the Rocky Horror Show. A lot <laughs> of people were fans of the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah, I think even there was a, a thing where Elvis was inter- interested in playing the role of Meatloaf. Yep, of I, uh, Eddie. Of Ed- <laughs> he wanted yeah, the, to take the, Meatloaf's part. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted he wanted the role. Of Eddie played by Meatloaf, and it's like, oh my god! Like this movie really had a lot of attention. This was this was Meatloaf before Bad Out of Hell. That doesn't make too much. Well, Bad Out of Hell is like very very successful. It's one of the most successful albums of all time. Like I think it's top six behind uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller and the Whitney Houston collection after she died. And Meatloaf was a uh... Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell was I think the sixth oh. or. It used to be five, but I think it's now the sixth highest grossing album of all time. And Shit. that album came out after this movie. This was when Meatloaf was uh, not as famous as, as he would later become. Same, mm. same with Tim Curry. Like Tim Curry became like a super successful performer, actor. And oh, he absolutely. He did a little bit of singing. But this was his first movie. And I think this was also Meatloaf's first movie. I, I could be wrong there. I'm not but, sure about that one. But it's incredible the kind of talent that they were that people were in the, the kind of talent that they were that this movie attracted. I know they wanted to get Vincent Price for the for the criminologist. Who was yeah, he was also a fan of the Rocky Horror Show. I guess he we'll also, get into it now. Vincent Price, David Bowie, Keith Moon, the drummer from The Who. Shit. Elvis Presley, Princess Diana, and uh Prince Charles. They were all big fans. Mick Jagger as well. They wanted Mick to Jagger. get Mick Jagger to play Frankenfurter, but they decided to go with the original cast of the stage production. But before we get into all that, I, f- I feel like we should talk about your feelings of the ending, because the ending is where things get a little weird, maybe too weird all at once. Look, I think the movie's awesome. It's really fun. It's a lot of a lot to enjoy. But the ending kind of loses a little bit some of that fun steam. I think it, it gets a little melodramatic. And it loses some of that sense of fun. It's definitely a downer, I think, it, it's in a, some way. It, it is a downer. Obviously, it doesn't bother some people. It kind of, it didn't bother me. It just made the viewing experience just a little, this might be a stupid criticism, but it just made it a little less entertaining. Like, I was just like, so, like, why are we holding this performance at the end? Maybe I missed something. Or I was like, I, I don't. And, and and it, I didn't think the songs were as catchy, and, and and well, and and that's what makes this criticism so weird because that that's not the point of the film. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not meant mm-hmm. to just be a high high. Like, it's meant to tell a story. And this is kind of like the characters that the main character is like low point because they get captured by Frankenfurt and he still wants to retain the power and control that he has. But then he gets betrayed by Magenta and Riff Raff. So I'm, I'm fine with, for some reason, I'm fine with all these beats on paper. But in the actual film, I just felt like, it just feels like it's dragging a little bit and I'm not, it's not really mm. coming together as, as it was written, you know, kind of it being like the betrayal and the grant, the, the illusion that, Oh, this is a whole spaceship. It just didn't really <laughs> connect with me. I was like, Oh, yeah, it's, uh, I'll say that it is a little odd how it is kind of really sad. What's happening towards the end. Um, I like for me, Rose tint my world and, wild and untamed thing there's like three songs that are just combined into one mm-hmm. but but that whole sequence is like probably my favorite part in the movie but right after that is when you have Riff Raff kill rocky and columbia and and dr frankenfurter and it, mm-hmm. it's like damn you didn't have to kill him and i think that is like a point of criticism from some like modern queer audiences um, cause I've, like this movie is, uh, beloved by some in the community and also some younger fans, I see it with less rose tinted glasses, I guess you, you could say <laughs> yeah. that have found this as, as a point of it being maybe a little transphobic because you have this trans character who's not able to who's killed off for being too eccentric mm-hmm. on top of like, he's also murdered somebody and mutilated their bodies. And he's also uh, hyper sexualized, but he also dies. None of the, the queer characters survive pretty much. Like they kill Columbia and Rocky. Richard O'Brien was, or is uh, a trans person. They, they describe themselves as third gender. Um, I've seen several different pronouns that they prefer to use, but I'm not sure which information is up to date. So I'm just going to refer to them as, as they, but Richard O'Brien was someone going through a kind of identity, um, the gender dysphoria. He, they consider themselves to be like maybe 70% male, 30% female. They wrote this during like the glam rock movement where it Mm -hmm. felt like, Oh, it's okay to, to be in between Genders. It's okay to think of gender as non-binary. Brian confronted the bleak economics of his life in the theater. He also faced a profound inner struggle over the nature of his own sexuality. It was an interesting moment in time because we had uh, glam rock and we saw all sorts of boys on television stretching themselves into spandex and wearing a lot of makeup and big hair. There was this kind of flirtation with the, the feminine side of, of, of masculinity. Uh, which I've always found very sexy. I love androgynous people that you can't quite tell whether they're male or female. I had a lot of feminine side by nature. A lot of kind of regrets that I hadn't been born a girl. You know, it's it's still a very conservative time, you know? Oh, absolutely. And that's why somebody knew watching it and saying these criticisms, like, it's still valid. I'm not saying that they're not valid. I mean, that's what's going to happen with movies. Hell, we say this every podcast. That's why we do this fucking podcast. Yeah. But I do, I, I would say to those people that have that criticism that the queer characters die, that they kill Frankenfurt. It's like, yeah, but you're also understanding that it's a very different time period. Like it, this was 
47 years ago. It's a different time period, but I think more importantly is it's not a good thing that they're dying. Yeah. Like it's a it's a sad moment in the movie. And it is kind of funny when Rocky like picks up the body and then goes up the tower like King Kong. Yeah. But it even Brad's like, why are you killing him? <laughs> what are his well, crimes? Yeah. And and the thing is, it also like it might not be my favorite song, but what's the song that where Frankenfurt's like when they're saying that we're leaving this planet or I'm like, going home. I'm going home. Yeah. Like that's not a happy song. It's not It like he's in, he's like covered like his wet like his mascara is running like he's clearly emotional like the most emotional yeah. like he like it's melancholic like he's happy mm-hmm. and sad and so it's it's a it's a bittersweet moment and that's when he's betrayed like it's not meant to like oh my god like we're having such a great time this is awesome and oh we're about to kill frankenfurt and that's a good thing it's like nah it's it's it's, it's a weird situation it's a weird situation but this writer said was it's a transphobic characterization written by a self-hating trans person longing to be accepted but not finding it even within the confines of his own imagination jesus christ wait 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 what who wrote that um this writer an injustice they're a like a blogger or something content creator say that that quote again it's a transphobic characterization written by a self-hating trans person longing to be accepted but not finding it even within the confines of his own imagination. Jesus Christ. Talk about fucking Godfather doing them sunny style. Just what? <laughs> I mean, well, look, okay, look. I, I don't think that I wouldn't think that the character is necessarily transphobic. I do think that there are some transphobic tropes that are exhibited by Frankenfurter. But mm-hmm. when I think of like a transphobic character, I think of like buffalo bill from silence of the lambs Mm -hmm. or the the killer in the sleepaway camp where it's like oh they're they're transgender that's why they did it well even well i don't really see that as why frankenfurter does the things that he does no a hundred a hundred percent when i think of transphobic i think of ace ventura yeah like like the reveal you have a bunch of people throwing up yeah and and like like the like you know with the reveal it's like it's not in front it's from the back it's just like like i i get that this is a silly dumb movie uh and it's of the time but going back looking back at it, it's like oh this is transphobic for this and this reason and, and like every every example you had i could agree with sleepaway camp is that one movie that i was like it is fucked up but I, I I go about it from a different perspective. And even even a lot of people are confused about, even a lot of queer people are confused about <laughs> a sleepaway camp. Some hate it, some love it. It's like a weird, it's like, that's a great area. Um, yeah. That, that particular it, movie. But looking at Frankenfurt and being like, oh, this was written by a self-hating trans person who hates trans people. It's like, what movie were you watching? Because I, <laughs> I, I don't think we were watching the same thing. Well, what I do think is that this this was somebody who wrote the film having these thoughts, but not really having or having these feelings and and this identity crisis, but not really having the proper way of of dealing with it, aside from writing down this like really silly stage play, which is totally fine. No VH1's behind the music. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. They did. They did an episode on the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and he, Mm -hmm. he says that some people call it a work of genius, but I maybe 
it could be considered to be the work of somebody who should have been paying a really expensive therapist. <laughs> but but how many people, how many writers have said that before? Hundreds. Like this yeah. is a common thing. And to just to to shoot someone down to say, well, they hate trans people because they hate themselves. And it's like, okay maybe they're not manifesting it in the healthiest way possible or the, but it's, but this is someone who is putting their feelings onto paper and they, it takes a lot of fucking hard work to put that on paper and to make a play and to get a movie deal out of it. And this movie means a lot to a lot of people. And it's not like Frankenfurt is like what we were saying earlier, right? It's not like it's Buffalo bill or it was just like, that comment kind of ticks me off a little bit because it's like okay, it did, yeah. tick, it did tick me off a little a little bit in the like, first. Like I get it, I get it because it, it's not perfect. Yeah, like, and everything's open to criticism. I totally I understand that, but it was a different time period, and we don't know what what Richard O'Brien was going through. We don't know what they were going through, uh, and it was like, look, it's a silly play. It, this one of the top five words to use to describe this movie is one of them is silly. This movie's silly, you know, and. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020, right? Looking back at it and seeing it from now, it's like, oh, yeah, this movie did this, this, and this wrong. It's like, yeah, but in the moment from what they were going through and what they did to get this made and what it means to thousands of other people. Probably millions. Millions. That's what's important in, in my eyes. So to say that loaded-ass comment is like... I feel like it's uh, it's very strong language, but I do think that there is something in like when you create a story right you're when you write a story you're basically the god of that universe right mm -hmm. so anything can happen and this character that is like sexually liberated is the one that dies mm -hmm. where does that come from that's that's a great point was the reason for having the serpent as a transvestite to be as a contrast to brad and janet I think it was a little bit something to do with how I'd been um, cursed or blessed by nature. I came out of the womb that way. I, I am transgendered. Uh, it, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's a difficult journey. There are many more subtle variations that happen, I think, in, in, in the womb. And I know at the age of six that I should have been a girl. And I said to my older brother I wanted to be the fairy princess when I grew up. And look at me now, I'm a full-blown queen. And. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I knew immediately I'd said the wrong thing and the shutters come down and you live inside your head. That's a secret that you will never show anybody. There's going to be no chink in the armor and that way madness ensues. You're never allowed to actually grow up. You grow up as a kind of an idea for everybody and uh, you're not really yourself and, and there has to be a payoff sooner or later. I went, I went over the edge of the abyss a few years ago and, uh, and then I, I suddenly said, oh, stuff it. I, I am what I am by default. I'm going to, you know, in a few years' time, I'm going to be 70. I may as well just live my life and be happy, you know, and, and just be content and be a nicer person as a result. For, for me, I don't think Frankenfurter is the villain. I don't think Riff Raff is the villain, even though he's the one that kills everybody. The, even, like, the, the way that they're aliens at the end, and it's all, like, it's all there to exaggerate the difference between the, like, norm, heteronormative, conservative world of Brad and Janet. Mm -hmm. and into this alien world of sexual liberation and freedom. And I don't think Frankenfurter is the villain. No. I think not, even the even um Dr. Scott doesn't care that Eddie's dead. He's like, well, it's probably for the best. And that's why earlier we were saying he's kind of the villain because he's yeah. not 
like villainous villainous he'll do some villainous stuff though like like going into brandon janet's room is kind of it's kind of bad like it's like it is bad like from a real yeah. world setting ap- application it is bad yes like but, don't don't do that but this yeah. th- like when they when they leave the wedding and they go on this adventure you're you're kind of going into like this fantastical land right because the wizard of oz the, effect yeah the people at the wedding are there they're the transylvanians like the wedding guests are the transylvanians tim curry is in the beginning yeah he's the priest i've never found the actual right solution or answer to this but here here's my thing right I think it's okay to deconstruct this stuff and figure out, okay, is this transphobic? Is this not what, you know, but one of my things that I've always kind of felt is movies need a story. Even, even a movie as loose as this needs Mm -hmm. some sort of thematic center. And it needs like a plot. These characters do this. And then that character responds in kind. And then, you know what I mean? Um, and this movie doesn't really have a villain. One of the closest things is Frankenfurt. And people are like, Frankenfurter. You know, Fr- Frankenfurter, sorry. And <laughs> this person, this writer is like, well, I don't like that he dies and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's just one quote. Like they have they have some interesting points, but no, I, it, I think that they lose use strong language, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think excessively strong for like what the film is. <laughs> I, I'm like, OK, you got to relax. But it does get it does go to the point where it's like. We don't like negative perceptions of so-and-so characters. And it's like, sometimes I agree that it could be harmful. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, like sometimes we, you, we've had this conversation. Sometimes you'll have the, the character who's uh, a villain and it's Mexican. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Hispanics are like, why would you have to make the villain Mexican? And it's like, sometimes I agree. I'm like, that was cold with what you did. And other mm-hmm. times it's like, don't make it a big deal, right? <laughs> and I, I try to, I try to take, I, I try to be as honest and fair as I can, even though mm-hmm. I'm not perfect. You know, there are certain instances where it's like it was kind of fucked up, and I was like, no, yeah. it's fine. And there were other instances where I'm like, no, that's messed up, and people are like, nah, you're overreacting. It, it's happened. Yeah, I think this definitely. is an instance where I'm like, yes, is Frankenfurt perfect? No, he's kind of the villain. Is the most sexu- sexu- sexually liberated character kind of the movie the villain? Yeah, I would I would think that that Frankenfurter does bad things, right? Yes, but yes, hundred percent. But they all like him. They do. They all like him. Riff Raff seems could... to have some beef with him because he got whipped, and it's like that was fucked up. I think he's jealous. I think the real villain of this movie is that like Puritan urge to control your sexuality and its expression. It and the fear of that freedom being taken away. The fear of the love and desire that you want being taken away. That's the villain. Ooh, the fear of being alone. That's I, that's the villain. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, you know, and that's why I would say, you know what? Frankenford dieting is like, I, I wouldn't make a bigger deal out of it. Like, I feel it's, like it's it, tragic. I don't think we're supposed to be happy that he's dead. It's It's tragic. And so I'm like. I don't know. I have a problem with that comment. I don't know if you've been able to tell. <laughs> I know. But but no, but but hey, but but that's why that's why we do this cuz it's you know responding to people who have seen the movie for the first time, yeah. my experience watching it for the first time. That's why we do this. But and and that's why it's tough to talk about or kind of grade, you know, uh Rocky Horror Picture Show cuz it is a silly movie that's not meant to be taken all that seriously. 
but it is about a disenfranchised group and kind of it is talking about the heteronormative lifestyle that we've all been a part of at some point in our lives, either oh, still yeah. in it or were. So I can see people wanting to take this, these themes and this setting and this movie and take it even a step further and want to critique, well, it does this wrong. It does this wrong. I'm on the camp slightly more. That's like, it's a fun B movie. It's a parody of B movies and it does a really good job at it. And it's really fun. And, you know, you're just thinking about it. It's like, opportunity, bust my soul. And, you know, and it, that's that's what makes this that's that's what makes this movie really enjoyable is you could you could look at it deeply if you wanted to but on a surface level it still bangs it's yeah just, mm, and i mm, would argue mm. that if you look at it at a deeper level you can find something really beautiful about it mm -hmm. but also i'm not gonna tell somebody you're dumb for thinking it's it's transphobic you know because i'm enough. not i'm not a trans person i don't know i well i do know that being a trans person, you might be more guarded towards representations of people like you in a movie, you know? So when you see something where the, the trans character, the only trans character is a villain, that's kind of a problem, you know? So I, I understand where they're coming from. Okay, that makes sense. I'll, I'll give you that. I get it. I just don't, like, agree with it. But I understand it. I understand it. And they wrote, like, a huge article. I don't want to, like, have that be the only quote. That people know and they're like looking for this person all angry. But no, I no, just think they make some good some good points. And then they make some points where I'm like, yeah, no. The the idea that Rocky is seven hours old and he, he acts like a child so that you could extrapolate that Frankenfurter is a pedophile. Oh, okay. Is this from the same article? It's from the same article. It's it's the one thing where I'm just like, no. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Well, because no. I do understand that there there is a a fear from the conservative right that somehow transgender people are pedophiles. You know, they're trying to get into yeah. the women's bathrooms to look at the girls. Like, there's this whole thing with with drag queens. Yeah. Okay. That's, and children. That's, ex that's exactly what I was talking about. I, I've been seeing that because people have been like, hey, I took my kids to go see a drag queen. And then conservatives are losing their minds like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's just yeah. like that's been happening. Right. That's recent. Yeah. I don't know why, but I've heard I've been hearing about it in the news and I'm just like. It's dumb. It's dumb. And I don't think that you could get that from this movie because Rocky is, you know, a newborn technically because Rocky is played by a man mm -hmm. uh, and, and Rocky canonically was born to fuck. All yes. right. <laughs> well, the, and, well, like he says, I'm just seven hours old, but his very next line is, Somebody should be told my libido hasn't been controlled. That is an articulate thought. All right. That, <laughs> that is from someone. And like in every sexual encounter, he's consenting. He knows what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's like going back to what I was saying. Yes, technically, some of the things that happened in this movie are kind of weird. Like, yes, Rocky Har is seven hours old because he was he was brought to life within the span of one night <laughs> but 
he is meant to be a fuck toy, essentially. Like, let's not... that That is the purpose of it. And it is a grown man playing this. And Rocky is clearly consenting to it. It's like, it is part of that Bihar parody aesthetic. Like, it is, it is the mm-hmm. silliness that I was talking about earlier. Realistically, yeah. realistically, yes. If, like, realistically... Rocky would not look like that if he was seven hours old and anyone wanting to have sex with something that was born seven hours ago is wrong morally. Yes. Real world. hundred percent. This is a movie. If you're seven hours old, you can't start singing like you, you, you can't start <laughs> singing. So I, I, see that that's a dumb thing. Like that's a dumb comment. I, like I don't agree with that part. Like that's the one thing that the article mentions where I'm like, you lost me here. If you had kept that, if you had kept that out, I would have been on board. But I, not even like on board, but I would be more understanding of the article. But when you have something like that in, I'm like, that's a reach. You're just trying to ruin everyone's fun right now. <laughs> I'm really questioning where you're coming from because talking about the inconsistent, talking about the inconsistent science presented in the Rocky Horror Picture Show about Frankenfurter making a fuck toy. And, and calling the morality of it out is like it, this movie occupies this weird fantastical space where yes why if you want to think about it like logically why are the Transylvanians and Frankenfurter and Magenta and Columbia and Riff Raff at the wedding there's a a fantastical element to it like fuck the 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 like we said it before, like the Wizard of Oz, you were there and you were there and you were there. Like, I feel like maybe you could also interpret this movie as these kids went out into the woods and found this like sex party and took a bunch of drugs and kind of hallucinated the whole thing as aliens and from a different planet and stuff. Why not? There's enough there for that kind of reading. And it's. Because even the the characters, they're like they don't they don't mention the fact that they were at the wedding, because that would imply that they sabotage the car on purpose to lure them into their trap. Yeah. But they're surprised that they're even there. They think yeah. that oh, you must be working for Doctor Scott. You're a spy for him. But mm-hmm. it's like what? And Doctor Scott happens to be the uncle of Eddie. And well, he, they were happened to see Doctor Scott, like they they happened to plan to see Doctor Scott anyway. And he the just, man who brought who started it all. It's like you. That's not what you. Okay, I. I'm not saying that it is their manifestation, but it occupies this like weird fantastical space that you can't really make sense of it logically. But maybe you can de- extract something from its like themes and what's what's happening to the characters look this is this is a movie about sexual liberation there's a lot of sex i I think so everybody wants everybody wants to have sex and yeah and and it's a silly movie too so to say that having a blow a a ken doll a ken blow-up doll (laughs) be born that night and create it's just like well that's pedophilia it's like you are reaching yeah. <laughs> now, 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 something I could see, something that you could say that I'd be like, oh, yeah, a little bit, is that Frankenfurter kind of takes advantage of Rocky a little bit and is possessing some. Uh, yeah, he's a toxic lover. He's he, definitely yes, toxic. Yeah, 100%. And is that one of Frankenfurter's 
uh, of villainous traits? Sure, sure. We we could argue that because we because we have said that he has done some fucked up things. Is how he treats Rocky completely positive? No. You you could if you wanted to, you could make that a whole argument. The way he demeans Janet when Rocky likes her. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, like like. Okay, yes, you you could break it down like that, but that is not a comment on pansexual people. That is not a comment on pedophilia. That is not a comment on any of that. It is a silly movie. I don't think that it, it comes from him being a transsexual or transvestite or, or transgender. It doesn't come from him being non-conforming. You know, it comes from him being very vain and afraid of being unloved and alone i feel like that's where it all comes from and maybe he is he does feel unloved and alone because of the world that he lives in and the world that maybe he tried to escape from uh from his home planet i don't know but i I, I feel like it it comes from a, a a character perspective not because he is non-conforming you know austin i i love how you just break everything down into actual logical things like it, it this was in the movie it was presented this way and this is a logical reading of it and then like you're saying all this and i'm like yes that makes a lot more sense rather than talking about how this man is a pedophile <laughs> like i i see i see what you're what you're saying but that's i feel like you're being dishonest there you know yeah, like, yes cuz cuz we know that he's not fucking a newborn child that's seven <laughs> hours old. That's not what yeah. he's doing. Okay. Yeah. And and to and to compare the two is kind of dishonest. Because that's yeah. not what he's doing. <laughs> that's come, oh come on. Yeah, I didn't like that. I was reading the thing and I didn't like that. Like the stuff wow. where he's being abusive, like, okay, yeah, there's an issue of consent. Okay, I can I can see that. And it is kind of irky to see. <laughs> but they do consent you know yeah. it's they, they make that a point don't tell brad don't tell janet you know yeah yeah touch, well, touch me i want to be dirty you know yeah it's, this yeah every sexual thing in this movie is consensual yeah and, maybe there's and, a little bit of uh co- coercing maybe mm-hmm. to get there but i feel like that's part of like the the fantasy element to it you know like when you do get into like bdsm culture they're is consent there you know there are safe words there's there's stuff to protect you and you're just playing into that that fantasy and I'm, i think as long as they're as you're consenting adults there's nothing wrong with that and here's the thing too i mean this is a movie right uh mm-hmm. and there needs to be some sort of conflict and there there is conflict there's conflict tre- created between brad and janet when they find out that they've slept with frankenfurter and like yes 100 percent. you 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 actually take that scene for what it literally is it is coercing someone into having sex with you kind of rapey 100 yes we're not saying that we're not saying that it's not that but there it, but it kind of goes in into this scene of it goes into this theme of like people stepping outside of their comfort zone when they would normally say no now they're feeling tempted to say yes because they would have said yes all along it's just that heteronormative world of denton that makes them think that they they don't want these things that they want to wait until marriage or wait that until, it's bad it's bad to even yeah. ask these things 
that's what we're getting at. Again, context matters. If you mm-hmm. if you had just that scene in a script with no context, like just on a sheet of paper and you ask people to read it, yeah, it is coursing. But in the context of the entire thing, along with the presentation of just how everything looks and how everything sounds and how everything's dressed and every... It, c- come on. Context matters. You're reaching... You're reaching if you're thinking that this movie <laughs> is promoting coercion, rape, pedophilia, like like that that's what a conservative sounds like that's what a conservative <laughs> watching this movie says like don't take your kids to drag drag queens don't don't have your kids meet drag queens because those drag queens are like frankenfurter and they're gonna fuck your kids and it's like no that you're no you, you are reaching for something that <laughs> isn't there <laughs> yeah yeah jesus christ <laughs> yeah um <sighs> that so is like the- one of the worst hot takes like yeah, ever, I, I don't. And like, here's the thing: like, this movie did mean a lot to the queer audiences. The queer audiences mm-hmm. were the first ones to show up, and yes. I was I was looking for for what the queer response was, and I came across this quote from the movie or from somebody commenting on a YouTube video of all places. I found this beautiful quote about the movie. Um, as soon as I can find it. I love how you mentioned that queer people showed up for this movie because they absolutely did. This movie had a regular release schedule planned out by Fox and nobody went. There was no response. It was negatively received. People hated it. And then they released that. And then one of the Fox execs, um, Jim Deegan, a uh, Tim, I wrote it down. Tim De- yeah, Deegan was the last name. He saw that there were some films that had success as midnight films. What was his name? Uh, uh, Plank Flamingos. Um, By John Waters. John Waters. Yeah, John Waters, Plank Flamingos had yeah. success as a midnight film. So Tim Deegan was like, what if we tried that? Let's switch our let's switch our release schedule with this with, like that we have right now because it's not responding. They showed it in London. They showed it in Los Angeles and it did well at those places. But they tried to put it in other theaters and nobody went. Yeah. Meatloaf has a story about how he took two people with him to go see it at a matinee in Philadelphia. And they were the only three people in the theater. Yeah. They they were supposed to release the movie over Halloween in New York City. But because people weren't going to the movies, they pulled the movie from theaters. Canceled the Halloween debut. Absolutely. And it wasn't until Tim Deegan was like... Yo, what about that that Pink Flamingos movie? How it did well at the midnight screenings. Well, and they released they released a new and updated poster as well, featuring the lips, right? And it a was different like, set of jaws. Yeah. Yep, the iconic <laughs> poster. I'm sure that drew in some people. And then they had their first midnight screening on April Fools' on 1976 in New York, and it was a hit. And from there, it started growing. And guess who made it the film it is today? gay people they showed up for this okay so so yes is the movie perfect no uh it has some issues but it means a lot and and what was the quote austin that was that you were gonna oh so i was looking up quotes and and like people's stories with this movie and i found one on youtube for what makes rocky horror picture show a cult classic from overkill analysis and this quote from jet screamer since 1986 Rocky Horror has been a major friend to me. I still see it once a month. I have been over 200 times. As a teen, I was coming to terms with my sexuality. I had to do some. I had to do so in a time where gays were public public enemy number one. 
with the AIDS crisis. People were okay with deaths in my community. Some even with glee. Ronald Reagan. I was at home with the Rocky Horror Picture crowd. Not all the fans are gays and yet accepted me. I think that's why my dad took me when I was almost 16. To give me a place where I felt safe being me. I had PTSD then and serious depression. I tried to take my life. I spent much time in the hospital. I knew keeping secrets would kill me, so I started opening up. Swing Out Sister deserves some credit for my breakout, but so does Rocky Horror. By that time, I had the album of the full movie. I had been like a dozen times at that point. At that time, I knew the movie by heart. But one only needs to take on the line, don't dream it, be it. Richard got it from a sexy undie ad, but it's the truth. I'm over 50 now, and I have finally found peace. I owe myself credit for the years of work to overcome my stuff, but Rocky Horror Picture Show saved my life. That's not an exaggeration. When my mood is as dark as pitch, Rocky Horror causes me to sing and dance to it. Jesus Christ, that's beautiful. So good. And holy shit. What a way to describe a movie. That you still watch it once a month. Like when they did the, the, the midnight runs, they would do it every weekend and it would sell out. People would be encouraged to come in costume to get a discount and they would come. Like it would be like a party every weekend. Eventually, people would start like saying stuff back to the screen, which mm-hmm. I hate when people talk in movies. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like this, like if you've already seen the movie, you've seen it like a hundred times. I, it, maybe it's OK. <laughs> it's the this movie's the exception. Yeah, because it sounds like it's you're part of, of something altogether. You know, people across different gender spectrums, straight people, gay people, trans people, like everybody what's cool is that the movies would a lot of the screenings would have like actual audience members go up dressed up like some of the characters and they'd act the film and they might like they'd like limp sync the words mm-hmm. the dialogue that's, that's insane <laughs> I, that is insane to think about and that that this is like a thing that started and some people were actually like famous doing it and they're like yeah, and dory something... dory hartley was the yes. one that would dress up as frankenfurter and she got famous for it yeah some i think there were some theaters that were like hey come over to ours and we're having a screen <laughs> of rocky horror you're not even the actual person on the screen you're impersonate like you're pretending to be them but you are so good that they want you there or that's how that's what the viewing experience for this movie was like that's insane crazy In- insane I have some of the examples of things that people would do in the theater. Things that people do, like present tense, because it's still happening. It's still happening. You again? I I looked it up. I was like, what what screenings are there of Rocky Horror? <laughs> the newer has some. I think every weekend at like yeah. from eleven to two. Uh, so they do stuff like throw wedding or throw rice at the wedding, like I mentioned before. Um, when Frankenfurter is like, I see you shiva with anticipate, and then the audience would say, say it. And then he says, patient. Patient. (laughs) When Brad Majors introduces himself, audience scream, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) When Dr. Scott busts through the wall, uh, people throw Scott's toilet paper at the screen. Uh, When Janet puts a newspaper on on their head, people would like bring newspapers and put them over their heads during that scene. Others would bring water guns to simulate the rain. And sometimes people yell, Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the newspaper, right? 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, because she uses a newspaper to, to cover herself from the rain. <laughs> it's like a party, you know, and you have mm-hmm. all these people there who all like the same weird thing that you do. So it's it's comforting. God damn, dude. And we said this in the first part, but this is like the longest like movie like movie theater release. Like it's still in theaters. Like regularly. Still in theaters, regularly. I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you could find it in every state and at least one theater in every state. And this is a movie from forty seven years ago. I don't think you could do mm-hmm. that with Star Wars. You could, but you I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping in Star Wars. Like we posted some things about Star Wars on our Instagram <laughs> and it made some people upset. <laughs> it made some people upset, so they had to come on to our our comments and say, "Y'all ain't shit. What are you gonna do? Cancel Star Wars because there's racism? Just..." And then they'd be telling us incorrect facts, like Darth Vader means Dark Father in Dutch or something. <laughs> and I'm which, like, which if they no. listen to the episode, they'd know that we actually had that discussion, and it we debunked it. It's not true. They would say, they would just all kinds of stupid stuff. I'm very happy that uh, straight uh, straight dudes have not discovered Rocky Horror Picture Show for the majority <laughs> of them because they would have gatekeep the shit out of that, just like yeah. they did with Bronies. <laughs> Man, I mean, I, think about it. Dudes took away Bronies from little girls, from little children, and they they will take Rocky Horror away from from queer people a hundred percent. Yeah, like the the comment section for like that Rocky Horror Picture Show video that I talked about from Overkill Analysis, they're all like stories of people's individual relationship with the movie. I just picked one of them. There's so many of them there. But if you but if you look at the comments for Star Wars explainer videos, ooh, the toxicity. It's like we we like the same thing. Why can't we all enjoy it? Shut the fuck up, Austin, because you're not a real <laughs> fan. That's why. Because you asked whether it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> that, But that's how they react. That's that's how fans react to Star Wars. Yeah. And it was funny because before we started recording this, I was talking. I was like, this movie actually has a lot in common with Star Wars. Yeah. It also had uh, one producer, in one Fox executive that believed in the project, Alan Ladd Jr., when Tim Deegan was trying to like contact other theaters for midnight screenings, he met with some resistance from his executive peers, you know, mm-hmm. but the one person who had his back was Fox studio head, Alan Ladd Jr. The same guy that believed in George Lucas. What a legend. What, what a legend. A man <laughs> that, that dude single-handedly made some of the best decisions <laughs> in cinema history. If you think about it. Yeah. But just like, this this weird creative person, this weird creative idea, I don't get it, but yeah, let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and this movie, I mean, in terms of, you know, like, it is a movie that's still playing in theaters. Star Wars is still playing in theaters. Like, I'm sure you could find theaters that are having a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back screenings. Like, 100%. Everyone with their Jedi cloaks and capes or whatever, and their, uh, their lightsabers, and they're quoting it, and... The fandoms are very similar, except you are right. There's a lot more gatekeeping in Star Wars. Maybe it's because it's it's so, like, it appeals to such a mass audience. Mm-hmm. Like, it appeals to everybody. So you have everybody there. And when everybody's there, sometimes everybody's not as accepting of everybody. If yeah. that makes sense. No, 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 no. It, it does. In a weird way, it does make sense. And the thing about Rocky Horror is that everybody can like this movie. But... 
this movie is clearly for like a particular group of people. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like you have to go along with a lot of weird stuff to like to like this movie. And if you can go along with the weird stuff, you're probably going to have a lot of friends there, you know, because they all like the weird stuff that you do. 100 percent. You know, Star Wars is one of the biggest franchises of all time. This is a cult film, but it has had large success, especially it's got legs, (laughs) man. This is the little this is the little train that could and it's still chugging and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. I I hope it doesn't. Man, imagine that like this will be the last yeah. screening. Dude, di- when Disney bought Fox Studios, there was a f- there was a fear that oh, are they going to stop these midnight screenings because they're taking a bunch of other old Fox movies out cuz if you want to screen a Fox movie, now you got to go through Disney. And mm-hmm. Disney's very particular about what they allow other people to show. It's all these independent theaters like, oh, we can't show Die Hard anymore. We can't show Princess Bride. We can't show Alien. Like, it, it was really sad. And Rocky Horror fans were like, what are you going to do with Rocky Horror? Disney was like, uh, no, you, you keep this. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. All the properties that they have access to, Alien, Die Hard, like, they could be making money off of this stuff, and they're like, no, it's going to go in our Disney vault. But the one film that they said that this was an exception for was Rocky Horror Picture Show. Even Disney recognized it. They're like, yeah, we, we can't put this away. We're mm-hmm. going to get fucked. Deep. Like, if someone's going someone's gonna to do something. People are going to react <laughs> negatively to this. So we just, yeah. just keep it out there. This is the exception. Let's get uh, into how this movie came about, like before all the, the craziness and everything. Uh, so it originally started as a stage musical from Richard O'Brien. Richard O'Brien was an actor, uh, about 30 years old, didn't have a lot of like, you know, success that you would want as an actor. Richard was in a few things. Um, Hair, Jesus Christ Superstar, met some people. It was 1972. It was the middle of like the glam rock era, which we talked about in Velvet Goldmine. And Richard was writing a, a thing in between plays. It's just kind of a thing where they took inspiration from all the B-horror movies and sci-fi movies and stuff. And they're writing some music. And they invited Richard Hartley, who was a musical director, and Jim Sharman, who was a stage producer and director, to their apartment and they had this rough outline for this thing called they came from denton high and richard played a few songs a sweet print sweet transvestite being one of them and everybody liked that (laughs) upon a suggestion from jim Sharman, he said maybe call this the rocky horror pick the rocky horror show and richard was like yeah that's cool Sharman had uh, some kind of arrangement with this theater company uh, with the Royal Court Theater, there's like a smaller upstage studio where the Rocky Horror Show would debut. Uh, stage actors Nell Campbell, Patricia Quinn, and Tim Curry were part of the original production. And when they f- when they found out that Nell Campbell could tap dance, they just threw that in there. Uh, the iconic costumes were done by Sue Blaine, who would eventually become perhaps an inspiration for Malcolm McLaren and the Sex Pistols. I believe is there the Sex Pistols is going to have a a thing on Hulu with uh, it's I think Maisie it's already Williams. I think it already came out or part of it I think directed mm. by Danny Boyle crazy 
so they, the show started, small 60-seat theater in the upstairs above the Royal Court in the Royal Court Theater in 1973. And it was a hit. You know, it was weird. It was happening at the time. It attracted attention from, as I said before, Vincent Price, David Bowie, Keith Moon, Elvis Presley, the royal family, and <laughs> a Lou Adler, who was a record producer from America. Adler was a huge fan, and he secured the American theatrical rights. Uh, apparently within 36 hours of seeing the show. And the show would eventually move from the Royal Court Theater to like a 500-seat capacity theater at the King's Road. I guess that's kind of like the London's Broadway. I don't know. Mm -hmm. The show would eventually go to Broadway and Sydney and Melbourne, Australia, and even Japan, Singapore, and Korea. This thing was an international event. Uh, when the show got to the States... Meatloaf would join the Los Angeles production at the Roxy Theater. And at the time, Eddie and Dr. Scott were played by the same actor. So Meatloaf got to play Eddie and his own uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Curry would be the only one that like traveled overseas to reprise his role. Because everybody loved Tim Curry in this role. Tim Curry was like the main attraction for the Rocky yeah. Horror Show. The show played to a full house. And Adler was able to... Lou Adler, the record producer, was able to convince 20th Century Fox to invest $1.6 into the film, which were they, were, they were allowed six week, weeks to shoot. They got Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, and Meatloaf, and Tim Curry to reprise their roles, but Fox insisted they cast American actors Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon to play Brad and Janet. And in the film version, Dr. Scott was played by Jonathan Adams. So they split the Dr. Scott and Eddie roles. Apparently Meatloaf wasn't happy about that. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Because I guess he only gets one song now. <laughs> Model Peter Hemwood would play Rocky Horror, the, the creation, the hot, blonde, muscle man. But uh, Peter Hemwood is not an actor, and he's not a singer. So they had Trevor White do the vocals for him. So all of the lines that you see Rocky singing are dubbed from somebody else. Originally, the song Science Fiction Double Feature was performed by Patricia Quinn, who plays Magenta. She would be dressed as an usherette, and she would be having like popcorn and stuff, and she would sing the song. And it was the reason she fell in love with the show in the first place. And when she found out that she wouldn't be singing it, she was like, I don't want to do this movie then. <laughs> <laughs> and then... They showed her this. The story goes, they showed her the set and they showed her all the things that they were prepared for. And she's like, okay, okay, I'll do this. She's actually the lips that you see in the movie, not the lips you see on the poster. That was, no. Those were a different set of lips. Yeah. But, but apparently they, they blackened her face and put her head in a vice grip so that she couldn't move so that they could keep the, the lips in the shot. I was wondering how they filmed that. They shot it for real, basically. <laughs> it looked good. I, I will say that effect looked good. And it's a great way to start the movie. And knowing that, that she's just like has like black paint over her face. I still can't tell, you know? Oh, it no, just no. It looks I, like I disembodied lips. Yes. 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 A hundred percent. And the lips, they like move around too. Yeah. They, but it's like all intentional because like if everything else is black, you can move it around, you know? Well, and having and having her voice actually be dubbed by someone else. It does 
just further push that androgynous feeling to it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. something. I love, I love that opening sequence. It's it's great. The song, the way is great that too. she like lips licks her lips. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, just the actual song and like what they're saying, but the like the presentation of it, like with yeah. like just the all black except for the white teeth and the red lips. It's like, and the way it would it will like uh, freeze frame and go into black and white in between the chorus. Mm. Oh, it's it's so iconic. Obviously, she agreed to do it, and then she found out that Richard O'Brien would be singing the vocals for the song, and she was mad at him. <laughs> but it's it's from this is all from like an interview she did with an Australian um, news thing, and she's really funny. So I don't know how much of it is like, were you actually mad that you didn't sing the song? Well, or, I'm sure or, she she might have been upset, but it doesn't seem like she has any ill will towards it. Like it is what it is. It yeah. happened, and it she's worked out really, in the end. She's really funny. I highly recommend looking for that interview uh, with Patricia Quinn. Nell Campbell also has an interview with the same uh, Australian news outlet. Uh, it's it's great. She even, Nell Campbell says that she showed her daughter the Rocky Horror Picture Show when she was three. And she wishes she would have showed it to her when she was two. <laughs> she says, like, there's nothing wrong with it. All the sex is implied. And if, if something's inappropriate, the kids won't get it. It's fine for them to to see this kind of stuff, to know that there are options for them out there which I think is a pretty good response to, to something like that. She's not wrong. Like, it's all kind of hinted at, and, like, nothing's, like, explicitly, like... Even the scene where, like, uh, you know, Dr. Frankenfurter is, like, you know, sleeping with uh, with Janet and Brad, like, it's silhouetted. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of implied, but you don't see anything. Would you rather him see you like this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny. No, it's great. When they actually started filming the movie, uh, they used the manor, which was used in a lot of Hammer film productions, a lot of their horror movies. Uh, the manor is called Oakley Court. And the conditions of Oakley Court were not ideal for filming. They were terrible. Terrible. There were holes in the roof. It was autumn. Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon were not accustomed to weather in London in autumn. Uh, Susan Sarandon would event would develop pneumonia like early yeah. on in the screening or in the the shooting of the film. They had like a little room that had like a bunch of heaters and stuff that they'd go in, but then apparently that room burned down. Jesus Christ! Like it burned down, so now the cast is like, well, we don't know what to do. We'll just have pneumonia, I guess. And then she went to the studio, and the studio was like, "Oh, you're being a crybaby." Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, it, it, the the filming of this movie was difficult. I know that the Transylvanians had a lot of fun because in the VH1s behind the music, they were like the Transylvanians were just partying all the time. There was drugs <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and Barry Boswick says, "I didn't know there was any." He he's so funny. He even does the voice in the VH1 special. He's like, "I didn't know there were drugs there." Damn it. The film was originally supposed to be in black and white until Frankenfurter comes down the elevator with his lipstick. And that, when he opens the door, I guess then the film will be in color. But that that kind of special effects takes time, and you have to, like, color it in a certain way. And the studio was like, no, you get what you get. Don't ask, <laughs> don't ask us for anything. And then, then the movie hit theaters. In August 14th of 1975 in London and in Los Angeles in 26th, it did well there, but 
awful everywhere else. And then that's when Tim Deegan comes in and is like, yo, midnight specials, let's make this an event thing. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. It became this amazing thing that a lot of people seek and find themselves. And it's a comforting thing that people do. Some people did every weekend back yeah. then. It, it is very similar to the story of Star Wars and kind of how special circumstances came about to get this film made because without it, we would have had a different film, you know, and I don't have a film and, at all. And yeah, we wouldn't have had a film at all. And if they hadn't had pivoted their release strategy, this film might have been something that people do not want. I mean, think about how many movies there, there, there have been made. There's, there's been a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. And is there like an equivalent to Rocky Horror in that pile? Like another one? Probably. Probably one we'll never see. And what I will say is like, yeah, the story's pretty basic, but if you wanted to, you could have a discussion about it and you there's a lot to chew on. You know, I mean, take that pedophile conversation out of it or you, <laughs> you just laugh at it. But talking about like, oh, well, what did what do these characters mean? And kind of there, there's a certain, you know, there's like certain things you could talk about. And it's like, oh, um, what, you know, let's look into the Wizard of Oz aspect of it. Like Tim Curry's character, Tim Curry's in the beginning and at the end, you know, it, there's a there's a few things there to yeah, talk there's... about. It's not it's not. And you could talk about the Easter eggs, all yeah. the Easter eggs. Jesus Christ. We could we literally have a three hour episode just breaking down all the Easter eggs. We could. Yeah, for sure. And all the references in the science fiction double feature like there's so much. Um, what there's this podcast we've mentioned before called Cine Nation. Our friend Brandon hosts it with uh, Horton Thomas Horton. His, I remember because his Twitter is like Horton hears a who. Uh, but he they did like this month where they covered spoofs and he said something on that episode that was like that's why i love rocky horror to do a he said to do a spoof movie whoever's making it has to really love the movies that they're spoofing and you can tell that richard o'brien loves the fuck out of these b-horror sci-fi movies from universal and i think that's what makes it so endearing Mm-hmm. And it's it was also something that it was also Richard O'Brien was also going through discovering themselves, you know, their sexuality, their identity, trying to reconcile their gender. All of that is in this this movie. Like, I feel like they put a lot of themselves into this movie. And I think at the end of the day, that's what you need to make a good movie. It has to be personal it has to come from a place of truth, not these are real events, but what what you feel from them, it comes from somewhere real. Whatever happened to Ray? that delicate satin-draped frame as it clung to her thigh how I started to cry Cause I wanted to be dressed just the same. And how like the the sci-fi stuff is like really cool references, but I don't know. I feel like sci-fi can be a place of refuge for P 
people who don't really fit in to mainstream spaces, you mm -hmm. know, because it's this fantastical world where you can be anything from anywhere mm -hmm. and it's just normal there. So I feel like the sci-fi stuff is really fun, but I think it's also linked with the overall theme of the movie. And I agree with everything you said. Look, is this movie perfect? Absolutely not. Even I've got brief. I got some grief. Even with Richard O'Brien has said some stuff that's like, uh, that is, that's not good. Like they've said some stuff about trans women can't be real women, but they but, can be the idea of women. And if you want to look into that and critique it and stuff, that is, that is by all means do that. Right. But this clearly was made by people that were passionate about what they were doing right like we talk about the references like this is a clear reference to classic hollywood cinema right with the universal monsters with wizard of oz to classic musicals but it's also adding references to b films uh to silly stuff right and mm -hmm. all the references to queer culture as well and you could tell that richard and the entire team loved this stuff you can't help but feel like it's kind of like it rubs on you in a little way. Like, oh, my God, like this is really fun. I didn't get the references, all of them, but it's still fun to watch. And mm -hmm. what you're saying is true. Yes, what's happening in the film is obviously fake. Uh, it shouldn't be copied or anything like that. Right. But like the heart of it is true. The, the, the main story is there. And it is it is something that you could kind of reflect on a little bit. The heart is there. Like the soul is there and like what it's trying to get at is real. And that's what makes it special and fun. Yes, there are some problematic things, but, you know, at the end product is this is a piece of art. And this is clearly a reflection of someone's interests and likes and dislikes. And I it, it makes those it makes it really, really fun for us to watch. Oh, yeah. And I love how it's. It has ex like still re retained its popularity through generations. Like there is even a Glee episode where they did a bunch of Rocky Horror songs. If you go to the IMDb, you're going to see Leah Michelle and the guy that was in Glee be Brad and Janet. Mm -hmm. Like they're performing it. And then you have Jack Nicholson as a criminologist. And you have Evan Rachel Wood dressed up as uh, Magenta. And it's like... This, <laughs> I think this Laverne Cox played uh, Frankenfurter when ABC was doing those like remakes of musicals or something. No shit. For reals? Yeah. Laverne Cox was, was Dr. Frankenfurter. Wow. Apparently the musical wasn't very good. I've seen like one clip of it and I don't know. Like it's like whoever was playing Brad was, was pretty good. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say this. I can't speak on the production cause I don't know, but Laverne Cox would seem like the perfect person to like take over the mantle for Tim Curry, if that makes sense. Oh, like yeah. Tim Curry, Tim Curry's great. Tim Curry is amazing. Like Tim Curry owns this role. But mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, who could take over for Tim Curry? I'd say Laverne Cox. It makes sense. I could see it. And now oh, I'm yeah. really curious to watch that. Yeah. It, I've I've only heard bad things about it, but I don't know. I'm glad that they did it. I'm glad that they're well. And, it wasn't. But, it wasn't ABC. It was Fox. It was in 2016. Let's also not forget that like a lot of these live performances have been terrible. I mean, we talked yeah. about it on Hook, but the Peter Pan <laughs> live presentation with 
Christopher Walken as Captain Hook was awful. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, if you go to Wikipedia, they say that Cox's performance was mostly praised. So maybe maybe check in for uh, Sweet Transvestite. Maybe that one's that one's great because that's just such a great song. So let's move on to quotes because there's a lot of episode to go through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this is the part of the show where we summarize how we feel about the movie with a quote from the movie. Rather than give a five star out of five star rating, we decided, hey, let's make something unique for our show and how we talk about movies because movies can be more than just good or bad. You know, they, they mean something to us. Re- reducing a film to a number score is really, really convenient, but it doesn't really capture what the film's about. And also reviews are kind of subjective. You know, they it's more sometimes it's more about who you are mm-hmm. as a person reacting to this piece of art than it is about how good the piece of art actually is. I'll tell you this, the reviews for this movie were not good when they came out. And people didn't watch it, so the box office was also bad. And yet, here we are. You don't listen to us talk for two hours about a movie to hear what number we give it, I don't think, <laughs> right? All right, so I got my lyric. Uh, and it's, th- th- should I go first? Oh, yes, George usually goes first, and George usually breaks the rules, but he hasn't broken the rules in a, in a while. Well, and I'm, I'm actually not going to break the rule this time. Because there is, because I like I like the dialogue in general. I think there's a lot of good line lines, but there is one line that just would not leave my head, and it is, I love it. It's not even a, a line of dialogue; it's a lyric, and it's from my favorite song. I love it. I keep listening to it. I keep humming it. <laughs> it's the it's the chorus to Hot Patootie. It's Hot Patootie, bless my soul. I really love that rock and roll. It's I've I love that song. Love, love, love it. Uh, it it's um, touch a touch a touch a is a second is a close second, but Hapatootie is like great, and the chorus is beautiful. I love it. I feel like dancing every time that song comes <laughs> up. And and look, I'm not a dancer. I. I'm, I get really nervous dancing because uh-huh. I, I like dancing, but I get really self-conscious. So I don't ever dance. Uh, well, you can always do the time warp because it's not a really good dance, but it's fun. And, and the it, instructions are in the lyrics. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that, and time warp is really cool, but there's hopitude. Every time it comes on, I just feel like standing up and like just shaking my body. Like yep. not even really dancing, but just shaking my body and just... Mm-hmm. Ah, it feels good. It's a good song. It's a great song. So and good. it makes me love Meatloaf, so. Oh, yeah. Like, it, problematic politics towards the end of his life aside. <laughs> but Meatloaf was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what's your, what's your uh, quote? Uh, dude, it is so hard for me to pick one quote. I imagine. how I feel about this movie. Because I love all of the songs. Like, I'll listen to, to a song from the soundtrack and just listen to the whole thing. Like, there's no... There's some songs that are not in the soundtrack that are in the movie that I'm like, why didn't they put this on the soundtrack? Like the sword of Damocles is hanging over my head. I love that song. But I think if you boil it, boil it down to like the quintessential Rocky horror picture show quote, it's gotta be don't dream it. 
be it. You know, because mm. this this movie was the creation, of, was the labor of a lot of love. This movie exists because people, the movie exists the, the way it does today because a lot of people love it. And it does, I think, at the core of this movie, it is about sexual liberation. Like, whether it be coming out or just getting out of that rigid, like, Puritan control over your libido. It's about breaking those chains. You know, mm-hmm. so that's my quote. Don't dream it, be it. I feel like that that scene, too, is like one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's the only time I've ever seen an orgy on screen and been like, that seems fun. I want to do that. <laughs> you know? It's a, it's a great quote. It, it's a great quote. And it, what's funny is I think I was looking in doing research for the film. I think I, w- I was reading some some people's like comments on on the film and that quote kept coming up it means a lot to a lot of people and it's oh, like yeah. it's it's more than just the lot like there's two there's there's a lot of power to it and i think it's a, it's you're right it's a great quote well that concludes our episode of the rocky horror picture show uh it was a lot of fun talking about this movie it was a lot of fun rewatching this movie i might even do it again while i'm editing the episode <laughs> <laughs> no it's a great film Go watch it. Um, it. It is a culturally significant film, so it's worth the watch. I had a lot of fun watching it, and goddamn, the soundtrack's just stuck in my head. I will say, I, I just, I do like Little Heart, Little Shop of Horrors. Is that's still like the one for me to for for for, for mm-hmm. uh, that's the one that's that other musicals are gonna have to go up against. But it, this movie's a grand old time. That's funny. I, I posted a picture of our mug, my mug, on social media. And I remember showing uh, Leanna the, rock, the Little Shop of Horrors. And she was like, I like this movie, but I don't understand the reference on your mug. Even she got the movies confused. Rocky Horror Picture oh. Show and Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> well, there's a lot to them. There's a lot of similarities between them, really. Horror, I think, well, is the, <laughs> the thing no, in but, common. You know, uh, well, actually, that's the biggest thing. It's a niche film that didn't do well at the box office. Well, neither of them did well, right? But they became a cultural phenomenon. They found their audiences later on. Great films, great musicals. But yeah, this one, it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad I finally got to watch it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was worried for a second. You know, I I still have that same kind of issue. That kind of goes back to like the plotting. Um, But again, I mean... Not every film's going to be perfect, but there's a lot to there's still a lot to enjoy in the film. Even if you don't completely like it, like just watch it and you you're you're bound to like something out of it. You know, give it a chance. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, that's fine. It it is what it is, but at least give it a chance. A lot of people a lot of people did and this is their favorite film. And they're still watching this in theaters to this day. I just want to watch the movie again right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna listen to the soundtrack uh, okay. alright so well, thank you guys for listening hope you enjoyed the episode you can follow us on social media at retrograde underscore pod on twitter and instagram we are retrograde podcast on youtube and on all the podcasting websites retro pod, grade podcast three words And uh, with that, we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.